Hi, this is DC Douglas, and welcome to the Project Umbrella broadcast. <laughs> Previously on the Project Umbrella podcast, uh, released back in, oh, I mean, got me off guard now, 2011 and... 2008. Was it? <laughs> ah, was it? Yeah, 2008. No, only three years now. Are you sure you're not sitting Shit, Time's gone very quickly since then, Nick. Nick's gone and one of these... Precious Anderson films. What happened to this legendary guy called Neptune who used to post on RE Horror <laughs> about 15 times a day? He lost his basement downstairs. He was my he was my hero when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm touching it right now. That was a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs> I love it. And welcome to episode 24, the final episode of the Project Umbrella podcast. We are celebrating two glorious years of Resident Evil debate, quizzes, and many other things as well. I'm Nick, better known as Neptune, and joining me today is Batman. Hi. Stars Tyrant. Hello. George Trevor. Hello. And Mr. Spencer. All right, dudes. We also have a very special guest interview coming up, which we'll leave to a bit later on, but that is worth listening out for. It is our last podcast today. It's very sad, but we're going to go out with a bang. We're going to be looking at all the latest news, site news in particular. Quite a lot's happened in the last couple of uh, weeks, so we'll be talking about that. And then the main discussion of the evening today is a bit of a smorgasbord of topics uh, no, no games or media to discuss, but we're going to be looking back on 2013, looking ahead to 2014, but we'll also be discussing some of the topics you want us to look at. Uh, many of you have been emailing us questions and various different aspects and topics you want us to cover, and we're going to have a kind of roundtable discussion about that, so that should be quite good. We have the special interview that I've mentioned above, which we'll reveal a bit more later, and then we'll be finishing off with the grand finale of Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz, and I'm also reliably informed there's going to be a quiz dedicated to me, or a quiz done on me, not dedicated to me, done to me. And we've also got the Project Umbrella Podcast Awards. Oh yes, oh yes, that's very exciting. First I've heard of this. Oh yes, we've got an award ceremony coming up, celebrating our year in the uh, in the limelight on Project Umbrella, and some awards to hand out to people, so that's exciting. So without further ado, let's crack on with the news. Uh, no biohazard news, unfortunately, chaps. Nothing's happened. <laughs> we are in a pit of oblivion, if you like, in terms of Resident Evil news. 
I don't think anything has happened. We're awaiting, presumably, Resident Evil 7 announcement or something. But we do have some news from Mr. Resident Evil himself, old Shinji Mikami. And he's claiming that scaring players is no longer easy. And he's got his upcoming game, The Evil Within. I've certainly looked at the trailer. It does look quite good. And I don't know if everyone else is, feels the same, but it does look pretty awesome, in my opinion. Very biohazardy. Gnados in it and a chainsaw guy. Yes, that's true. And I thought, yeah, some of the skinned people look very like, uh, was it Verdago? I thought it was similar to that. Gory compared to Resident Evil games, which aren't traditionally that gory. I thought that looked a bit more. But yeah, it looked very good. Moving on, site news, far more exciting, far more exciting, because the lots have been going on in the site. There's lots to see and do on Project Umbrella at the moment. We're giving out lots of Christmas presents for you to enjoy. So we've got Ridley's Developer Interviews database, which is fantastic source. If you want to know anything about any of the interviews anyone's ever done, ever, Ridley has very amazingly put it all together in one document, so you can just source that material. A huge, huge thanks goes to Ridley for doing that. Yeah, it was good. There was quite a lot of interviews I'd never never read before so it was quite good to have it all compiled it's it nice was. to see that was uh, you know reflected in the community feedback it was it was very good so kudos to Ridley there and a great present I think everyone should uh, should appreciate that we had the next box one for Christmas <laughs> yeah I, I would say so absolutely but that's just me because I'm no DRM on this site Another bit of site news, we have Wesker's Extra Report. We may think, well, everyone's seen Wesker's Extra Report. Yes, but your Wesker's Extra Report isn't narrated by DC Douglas, is it? No, it isn't. DC Douglas recorded Wesker's Extra Report for us, and it's on Project Umbrella. How amazing is that? That sounded really smug, <laughs> if anything. From, uh, from your accent as well, that regional dialect right there. It's like, <laughs> yes, we have DC Douglas. <laughs> we do. Mm, vote conservative. His name is Nick. <laughs> Yes, well, anyway, no, thank please you download it. For doing that. It was great. Yes. Absolutely. I know DC Douglas would be listening to this. Um, so thank you, DC, for doing that. That was uh, quite incredible. He uh, took time out of his busy schedule to record the translated version of Wesker's Extra Report, which is now available to download for your listening pleasure. I'll take this opportunity to say that we do have uh, a special interview with DC Douglas coming up a bit later on, on this podcast, so you'll be able to listen to it a bit later. And it all forms part of the hour, hour or so that we had with DC the other week, which I think we can all safely say was amazing. He is a very, very generous person to spend time doing this and uh, taking his time out to listen to our nerdy questions that you'll hear very, a bit later. Very down-to-earth bloke, I'd He say. was, he was. And he's telling us lots of interesting information about his Biohazard fans at the Comic-Cons and all the conventions he goes to. And, uh, Can I just say, I think he's the first person to introduce us all to Yaoi. He mentioned it on, on the, in the interview, which I had to look up, which is apparently uh, male, male, erotic uh, fan fiction. Oh, yes. Oh, right. Is that what it, oh, I, 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 I've forgotten the, um, the actual name. Yes, as a precursor, there is erotic fan fiction discussion coming up later. Between your favourite podcast members. Matron. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Here we go again with a Kenneth Williams voice.
Moving on, you would have just seen, actually, just as we were recording, uh, Batman, our friend and yours, Batman, has decided to put up an outtakes episode of the Project Umbrella podcast. It is absolutely worth a mention, not only to hear some of the bits that didn't make the cut, but also to listen to the life and times and tribulations of George Trevor and the noises that emit from his house. You can see the anguish that both myself and Batman do go through in editing uh, these podcasts. And I, I just could... say, sorry to interrupt you, Nick, but speaking of the outtakes reel, I just want to say, I put on a persona when I do those. Do you? That's not me. I am not a Daily Mail reading, xenophobic, borderline racist kind of... Yeah, that's a, that's a personality I put on. That's a oh. character. Like Steve Coogan and Alan Partridge. I'm just going to point that out right now. I do not read the Daily Mail. But yeah, so uh, thanks, Batman, for doing that. That was uh, that was great to get it done so quickly as well. So. Other site news, Newsbot is working on a completely revamped T-Virus article, which will be excellent. We've got the Chronology of Evil Beta and Biohazard the Wicked North Sea translations all coming up. I think we've, we've spoken about the Wicked North Sea before, and that should be something that I think a lot of fans will get a bit of a kick out of, simply because it's, one again, one of these kind of forgotten areas of Biohazard that uh, may yield some interesting storyline revelations. Whether or not it's canon, don't know yet. We'll see. The presents just keep on coming here at Project Umbrella. That concludes the news, and moving on to our main discussion of the evening, which, as I've already mentioned earlier, isn't really a game or a media source such as a film. We're just going to have a roundtable discussion from some of the member requests from the forums and we're going to be going through them quite briefly because we've, we've, we've had quite a few and um, we're just going to go through them in each turn. So, one of the first things we have to talk about, a roundtable discussion about Wesker's report too, i.e. how important was it and did it complement, we think, the remake well? How did it then, more importantly, I think, then link in with Resident Evil Zero afterwards? Who Anyone wants to start us off? I thought it was a um, very important piece of backstory. Um, and as a compliment to the remake, as you said, it was, it was absolutely phenomenal. To Zero, not so much. Mm. Because Marcus isn't mentioned in it at all. And... You know, a lot of the problem with Zero that I still maintain really with the series is the references to that particular title. They're not really any no. outside of the game itself until Five comes along, bizarrely. But the actual report offered a lot of really good insight, and it's one of the most important pieces, companion pieces they've released to the series. So I remember at the time, because obviously they all came out quite quickly of one another, didn't they? Remake and Zero and. I remember the, the the files as well of Zero didn't quite work. The American ones with eighty eight, seventy eight, and everyone was trying to kind of piece it all together to work, you know, to try and tie it in with part one of Wesker's report two and going, well, he must have taken it at that point, uh, he must have stolen it. And I, I still think there's a bit of fan fiction in there, isn't there, just to connect the two dots? Doesn't it? I can't. I, my memory's poor, but isn't it like Wesker and Birkin betray Marcus and then go over there? But again, as you said, sure, no mention of that. And then there's an assumption that they bring the T virus with them. Yeah, they steal the T-virus from Marcus in 1978, mm. take it across to the Arkley Labs. 
But yeah, that's not mentioned though, is it? In the yeah, yeah. That, that's where the confusion because that wasn't mentioned in Wesker's report too. And then you had the kind of bizarre situation of of then Birkin killing Marcus, going, "I'll take over your research now." And you're going, "Well, you've just done ten years on the Tiva. Is what possibly do you need Marcus's research for?" I still don't think it's as coherent as it could have been. Well, maybe the reason why he wants it was to humiliate him in some way, to further humiliate him. Maybe it wasn't really a practical reason. It wasn't about, oh, I need his research. It was more like, no, I want it just so I can mess with his head. Mm. I don't know. I pulled it out of nowhere. I'm not going to lie, but uh, it's slightly better in my head. But I, I just couldn't really carry it in the end as an argument. So, um, yeah, just, just scrap that. Okay. <laughs> well, we've learned so many new things since then, haven't we? Like how there's multiple T viruses and not just the one. And ultimately, he was killed in 1988 because the T virus had reached level three, which was the tyrant program. And, you know, there was no real use for Marcus anymore. So, yes, yeah. But I agree. I mean, my, my big argument way back then was instead of just putting him in exile for 10 years, was why not just eliminate him in 1978? I still think that was the intention, was because mm, there was that translation error in the uh, American version, because they said it disappeared 20 years ago, and then it was rectified yep. to 10 years. Yeah. There's also the, you know, I think there's a lot of confusion with Wesker's report too about the, the use of Ebola as well, and and that's taken a long time to try and sort out about whether Ebola forms part of the T-virus, but as you said with the revelation that there's lots of T-virus is almost like a globalistic term, for many viruses that kind of do the same sort of thing. It makes a bit more sense, but it wasn't made clear. Yeah, it was a bit weird at the time, but now, obviously, there's multiple T-virus. Like, the first T-virus Wesker and Birkin create is through use of Ebola, isn't it? Yes. Does it outright specify that, though? It's just heavily... I always took the view, before we all knew it, because you had Zero that said T-virus was created with a progenitor and leech DNA. Right, I know, I know that's scientifically shite or whatever, but you just took that as gospel. And then I, I always interpreted the Ebola as just kind of an example of how uh, infections can spread and viruses can spread and things like that. So I think Newsbot and Co have done a bit more research into it and said that is it progenitor and Ebola make a T virus, but not necessarily the T virus. What I always got from it was James Marcus's original T virus didn't turn everyone into zombies. I think it was sort of similar to the progenitor in that it killed most of its human hosts mm. and, and only turned a select few into zombies. And I think the application of the Ebola virus somehow increased that compatibility to uh, 90% of all humans becoming zombies. Yes. Because it, it took them, was it three years it took them to stabilize it? Mm. And obviously Spencer wanted them to get it to 100%, but there was always going to be that 10% who had that natural immunity. Mm. Okay, uh, Wesker's report too, obviously, was a almost like a love letter, if you like, to Ada Wong from Wesker, explaining all about the history of the Art Clay Mountains. And uh, that was quite a nice tie-in, and certainly set everyone up with Ada to Resident Evil 4, and introducing Ada as a, a far more pivotal character than she was up to at that point. So that was quite good. The biggest thing about Wesker's report for me, though, was it completely sort of turned the story of Biohazard on its head. I mean, from playing the original game, I was always left with the impression that Wesker was just this renegade cop who lusted for power, and the only reason he was on Umbrella's payroll was for pure financial gain. And now, all of a sudden, we're expected to believe he's been with them for over 20 years and has helped create numerous T-viruses himself. It took me a long time to sort of accept that mm. I, found, I found it you know a big jump in logic whether that was the intention of the original writers i don't know he doesn't look like a scientist i think that's the one of the biggest problems it's uh 
but it just made everything look so much deeper. I mean, Biohazard 2, for example, makes us believe that the G-Virus is a brand new thing, and yet Wesker's report tells us it was first discovered in 1988. Mm. And the same with the Nemesis. It's, you know, it's Umbrella's latest BOW in Biohazard 3, yet its origins go back 10 years to when the, the Nemesis parasite was being developed by the French branch. It took a while to accept it all, I think. Like the Hunter, the Hunter first being developed, or the idea for it was created in the early 80s. All the Lisa stuff's great as well. Yeah. It really helps establish who she is when you play the remake. Yeah, I mean, bringing it in, obviously that ties in with the kind of Trevor notes and things like that, and I think that, that helped big time with that. But, you know, you, you're right about the Hunters. Um, it, it made everything seem a lot more older, didn't it? And the Tyrant as well, of course. You know, this is Umbrella's latest BOW, and yet, you know, if if you read it quite literally, the Tyrant was kind of created in 88 as well, or whenever, whatever year it was. Yeah, you know, well, that's that's how it reads, isn't it? But yes, yes, that's how, yeah. But it's actually just the virus mm. that was created in 88. The Tyrant itself wasn't created till 98. Yeah, exactly. But as I said, taking at that point in time, it was like, oh, okay. Mm. It, it, it kind of like led to believe that you have T001, which was created that year as well, then T002 fairly after. We know that's not quite accurate nowadays, but... Um, yeah, no, I think I think you're right, Bats. It um, it adds a lot of history, whether it was all completely necessary. I don't think it's ever been confirmed who actually wrote Resca's report to. <laughs> it's, it was to aid it, though. I was right about that bit. Yeah, yeah, it was to aid it. Yeah, sorry. Hopefully. Well, I don't know. Yeah, will that ever come out? Then like, you just assume it's Wesker, though, don't you? It's written sometime after the mansion incident to bring Ada Wong up. No, no. I, I mean, who wrote it in Capcom? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was with you, Bats. <laughs> Sorry, I'm two pages back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we don't know. We don't know the. Oh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, I'm not. I'm not disputing its canonicity, obviously. No, no, no. We've got an author for pretty much everything else, but Wesker's report to is blank. Ah, one of the great mysteries. It does show that you know the mistakes made in Wesker's report to, or the mistakes in Resident Evil Zero, which one ever you think is going to take precedent, just shows that they weren't really communicating effectively. When when making the games, which is which is unfortunate. Mm. But there we go. So, um, Mr. Spencer, did you want to say anything else about Wesker's report too? Nothing really in particular that's already been said. I mean, what's been said before is pretty much what I was gonna say. So uh, yeah, that sums up really. Okay. It was a nice bit of glue that sort of linked to the original games together. You know, lots of references to Resident Evil Three and Code Veronica with Alexia and the Ashfords as well. I will say, finally, point of view. I think because. Resident Evil 3 is brushed over so horribly, really, in Wesker's Report 1 uh, with, oh yeah, there's a Nemesis, we wanted that data as well. It was nice to actually have a whole kind of section dedicated to the Nemesis program and uh, bringing that kind of very much into the into the fold as opposed to a spin-off, because Resident Evil 3 did feel a bit spin-off-y, didn't it, from Resident Evil 2? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It was people... like an expanded version of RE2. It was, people might not agree with me on that, but, you know, it, it it was never meant to be a main game, of course. It just kind of like evolved into it, and uh, I think Wesker's Report One shows that, and I think Wesker's Report Two kind of rectifies that. Moving on to our second discussion, uh, George Romario's Resident Evil script. Did we like it? Was it comparable to Anderson's efforts? Hmm. Well, you're the expert here, aren't you? Let's be honest. I only read it stuff. briefly, but is this the is this the script that had Chris as a Native American? Yes. Yeah. Now, everyone slates the Anderson's films quite rightly, but I think most Resident Evil fans actually don't think the Romario's film would have been much better. No. It would have been better, maybe, but not like to the point where, you know, a masterpiece has erupted from the Resident Evil universe. It still would have been quite poor. I've read the script and I think it would be 
a better film. Yes, I think everyone would agree with that, but I don't think it would be brilliant. No, it wouldn't be brilliant, but it it, it was very B movie ish. But that's is that not what we want? <laughs> hmm. No, I don't think we do. No. No, I don't. I don't think we want a B movie because the games have moved on a lot since B movie. I think that they're the perfect Resident Evil film. First 20, 20 minutes, half an hour, set just in the RPD with a Wesker type character. So, you know, all the news reports coming in, all the you know chaos basically in Raccoon City with all the you know the press going, what's going on with all these murders, blah blah blah, and then bowing to pressure, sending off Bravo team. They're not reporting. In goes Alpha Team, and then then a, a general exploration of the kind of mansion and surrounding areas. There's parts of it obviously that wouldn't work, such as a giant shark, giant snake. I think they would they would struggle to replicate well on film. But there's a lot of good story that you could set before the mansion incident, bringing up the characters, do a good character pick of Jill and Chris and Barry, and and Wesker as well, and then that can be translated quite well into a situation where they're, they're all fighting for their lives. In uh, in the mansion. I can't understand why it's not been done. I mean, there hasn't been a proper good haunted house film for years. I completely agree. Thanks. Sorry, no. I don't really have a lot to contribute because I don't tend to watch a lot of horror. That's the problem. So. Uh... Well, I, I don't want to bring up this old dead horse here at this point, but Event Horizon was perhaps Paul Anderson's only decent movie he ever did. Mortal Kombat. The important thing about those two films is he didn't write them. Yeah, I I, I quite agree. Yeah. I think he's a competent director, but I'll never ever forgive him for Alien vs Predator. No. <laughs> it's an absolute travesty. Well, that's probably Fox's fault more than his. I mean, the people responsible for destroying. Yeah. Mm, I still blame Fox. They destroyed the Alien <laughs> franchise. Well, Nobody you've got to think did. about it. Yeah, from, from Fox's point of view, you've got um, you're looking for a director to direct two franchises that are going to be successful. They look at Anderson. Nick, and go I'm the... just no, no. I'm just looking for a way to blame Rupert Murdoch, oh, who okay. is worse than Hitler. Seriously, who the fuck? Which you know, the executive with all the money, the person who writes the checks, who would receive the Alien vs Predator film as a script and think? Fucking hell! I want to see that made. Let's green light it. You An know, there is person. nothing redeemable about its story in the first place. A pyramid located deep in the Antarctic. A pyramid in the Antarctic. I, I oh. know who would agree to that, Sean. A dusty old man looking for a quick cash in. But it's the fact that he made the predators fat, and he changed the vision, and he and the oh no 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 no. <laughs> anyway, Just, we, oh. we divulge, but Sorry. um. I don't know if it, I, I haven't heard anything at all from the uh, from Anderson yet about Resident Evil Six whether that's going to be made. Have you got him like on like a speed dial or something? I, 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 yeah, I have him on speed dial. <laughs> I need to phone him, give him, give him a chat. Going back to Romero's script, I think the problem with it was that he forced too many references to the game. Like I think it did actually have the snake and Plant yes. Forty Two in it, and like you say, they would not translate well onto film. It has hunters in it as well, didn't it? Hunters, I think you could do, yeah. as long as you, you know, you sort of kept them to the shadows and that. But I, from what I remember, the script, all the stars members moved around the house together, so it was sort of like an aliens, and they were like using the ventilation shaft, and they were sort of getting picked off one by one. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been a great film, but I think it would have, it would have been passable, certainly. God, I really can't remember it. I don't remember that at all. I remember Barry was a big black guy. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's right. I think, yeah. I think Ada was a scientist working at the mansion. 
Oh, that was technically right, though, because you had John working at the, uh, yeah. the mansion, wasn't he? And from what I remember, he got Wesker's character pretty pretty much spot on. That's the thing. I think there's so, there's a lot there's a rich tapestry of characterization that could be implemented well into a film, just detailing the mansion incident and you know surrounding areas. And I, I, as I said, I don't quite know why it hasn't been replicated. If, if there is a franchise that is in desperate need of a reboot, then it's the Resident Evil films. I know uh, Rombie from Resident Evil fan, he's a big expert on this. But there's, ah. lo- there's loads of sort of misinformation going around. Like, I think general consensus is that Capcom didn't like Romero's script. But I've heard plenty of arguments say that Capcom were perfectly happy with the script. It was the is it Constantin film who owned the, yeah. the, the rights. They didn't like the script. Oh, that's that old Samuel Hadida bloke, isn't it? Mm. Right, well, okay. I suppose that finishes our talk on Romero's script. Um, next topic is the fall of the Spencer Mansion post-virus spill. What happened to the researchers and staff? Who was a Crimson Elder? What happened to the Bravo team members? So lots to talk about. And I, I would start off, start this off by just debunking, thanks to Welsh, the biohazard dash kind of rumours that apparently was completely made up by Famitsu. People who are unaware of biohazard dash was supposed to have been rumoured to have been uh, either a PlayStation or Saturn sequel to Resident Evil that returned to the mansion, I think, either six months to a year after the incident, uh, where the whole place has kind of been taken over by plants um, and a bit reminiscent to the flashback scenario of Outbreak. Um, and that, that would have dealt with a lot of the issues that we just went through there, so what happened to the researchers and staff and that kind of thing. But um, I, I found that quite fascinating, that that was complete false, completely false. It's a shame. I mean, a really good rumour, though. Most of us thought it was a cancelled game at some point. So, okay. So the first part of that was what, hap- uh, what happened to the researchers' staff you know, the staff of the mansion afterwards. Did anyone survive at all? Did anyone escape? We know George Trevor didn't, but that was in the 60s. Because you do have the kind of story, don't you, with all all the the famous Keeper's Diary and and whatnot of people being in the suits, surviving perhaps for a week in a biohazard suit, but then slowly slowly succumbing to the infection over a period of time, which was wonderful in the files. But yeah, so did anyone want to butt in on that? I don't know, but I, I have to admit, every time I play the game and you sort of take in the environments, I often wonder what the mansion and the labs would have been like when they were sort of fully operational and just what general sort of day-to-day living was. But it's it's evident from the files, isn't it, that for the first few days, the sort of higher-ups tried to keep the accident a secret, didn't they, from the regular staff, and they just tried to sort of have operations carry on as normal until it got to the point where they just couldn't sort of cover it up anymore. Yeah. And one of the... Um... One of the big questions was always who was the Crimson Elder. I think a lot of the time, ever most people try to say it was George Trevor. Mm. That that was possibly logical. I don't think it quite worked with the with the timeline. But the the Crimson Elder was an important character, of course, because he had a unique reaction to the T virus, which um, at a genetic level, which created the the kind of V act version of the virus, um, which was then harvested for the mansion, and then that was the one that was spilled in the mansion incident by um, Marcus's leeches, which is why you get um, a kind of different outbreak at the mansion to the different outbreak at the training facility. Mm. But there's, there's no real clue as to who the, old, the Crimson Elder is. It's just a regular zombie. He just had a unique... Mm. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that used to always puzzle me was why did Umbrella want to get rid of Tyrant 002? Because if, you know, if it was the ultimate bioweapon, why not try and save it? And this was obviously before Umbrella Chronicles came out, showing us that we had T103s before the mansion incident and all that. 
I was going to say it, now. Now it what kind of works? You know, it makes a bit of sense because obviously T one and three is a, are, are a lot far superior to T double two. But as you say at the time, it didn't quite it didn't quite fit, did it? But we found out subsequently that the reason Umbrella didn't care about the tyrant anymore was because they'd already cloned its embryo and got it out of the mansion. So oh. that particular subject didn't. It was worthless. Oh, okay. There we go. And um, another mystery of the Spencer Mansion was, and again, a, a failing by Zero. Although there was, I think there was quite a lot of love for Zero actually in in the podcast. It didn't explain really what happened to the Bravo team members, which of course was what the premise of the whole game really was. And um, I, I think that's that's a shame. We, obviously, we get Umbrella Chronicles rectifies it to an extent, uh, but we don't see what happens to Kenneth and Forrest and uh, the others, which is a shame. Well, there is a story to tell there, because if you think about it, Biohazard Zero begins on uh, July 23rd, and obviously Biohazard takes place a day later, and Kenneth only dies literally once our Alpha team gets to the mansion. So he's had like a whole day, or nearly a whole day, exploring that mansion before he was killed, and the forest. Um, and obviously you've got the same with Forrest in the original uh, the trial edition of Biohazard, where he writes that message in blood on the wall, you know, saying how he's like badly injured. And then obviously you've got Enrico, who I, I personally think Enrico never gets to the mansion. I think he ends up in a tunnel straight away and he's injured by a hunter and he's just immobilised yeah. for most of the day. No, I agree. And, and Zero, again, doesn't help. I mean, we, we we could have a whole podcast, again, literally about the geography of Zero and One and the whole Arclay Mountains. And I think through Ridley's determination, we're able to discover that the, the use of Birkin's lab level one was purely for fan service. It doesn't really make a lot of geographical sense, but you know the, the inclusion of Enrico at that point. It'd be nice to know how we actually got from there to the back to the mansion because he has a radio call, doesn't he, saying they're gonna, he's going to meet them at the mansion. So at that point, about halfway through zero, or maybe three quarters of the way through, the other Bravo team members are already at the mansion, yeah. and Enrico Enrico's not there, so you know he's going to meet them there. So again, as you said, there's a bit of a story there. Whether it would be enough to sustain an entire game, I don't know. You could argue it would have just repeated the environments, but I always, I think I'd have sooner have had that. I'd have loved to have seen that story. I would still happily pay full price for a game exploring the Bravo team's final hours. Like you said, Nick, I think a majority of it would have to be set in the forest. Well, then, that yeah, I mean, yeah. And then maybe just have it like a cameo of the mansion at the end. Yeah. I think so, and I mean, it would make great. That's as, as maybe as a separate release, but if they ever do get the rights to put Resident Evil back on consoles as opposed to just the GameCube, then you know it'd be good DLC, wouldn't it? I mean, that'd be awesome DLC. I remember um, there was photos, wasn't there, of like uh, Kenneth and um, Richard in the mansion, where they were. Just, I think they were just placeholders and that, but everybody assumed you were going to be playing as them. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. there are there are pictures. They're teasers, mm. really, but never mind. Uh, moving on now, the uh, in a similar kind of fashion, the fall of the RPD during Raccoon City. This we touched upon in one of our last um, podcasts with the glimpses that you get in the Desperate Times scenario from Outbreak Two. So you kind of see a bit of it. There's still bits you don't see, such as uh, irons going around rampaging. Uh, you know, spreading out all the weapons and actually activating the nerve gas and all that kind of stuff. So that there's still parts that um, are there, and we don't really see what happens to the officers. We don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't get that big moment, do we? Years and years ago, I wrote a, a series of scripts for a 10-part 
TV series. That would be every, what each episode would be one day leading up to Jill's last escape, and it, it yeah. actually had like Marvin as a main character and everything like that. I haven't got them anymore. I deleted them years and years ago, but you know, I, I sort of made a, an effort to try and explore that. But again, I would, you know, I would pay pay good money to see a, a TV series of that made because I think it would make, make really good episodic mm. TV. You know, have Marvin or Neil Carlson as a main character. Oh yeah. Well, it's good. I mean, you, you see bits, don't you, of how the RPD react during the outbreak. And I think that was certainly one of Outbreak's biggest highlights was the fact that there was that degree of normality. Lots of non-zombied people still trying to operate in the in the city. And that would tie in quite nicely, wouldn't it, to, you know, a, a scenario where it was perhaps half and half zombie human, you know. Yeah. You could have, you know, strange little offshoots where Marvin goes off to investigate the the theft of the gems at City Hall and you just start seeing things really not right. Mm. But, uh, I'm sure there's a, there's a th- we've got a thread on PU somewhere dedicated to what's happened to the police and there's some really good theories in there. That, what I find interesting is if you play the Desperate Time scenario and compare it to the files of Resident Evil 3 there's actually, is it the west wing of the police station that's completely inaccessible in Desperate Times? Mm. Yep. If you read the files from Resident Evil 3 at that particular time, there's still quite a few police officers left alive and sealed in that part of the station. Uh, You know, is it David Ford, the guy who blows his head off with a shotgun? And then you've got that sort of story in the operation report too of how there's just four people left alive and they're going to try and escape through the sewers. And they obviously must do that after the events of Desperate Times. And then I think someone pointed out quite recently, um, we obviously don't know what happened to these four people, but there's four sort of police officer bodies scattered around the, the east wing of the station when you go there in Resident Evil 2. And someone quite brilliantly speculated that these four bodies could be these four survivors. Oh. Which I thought was quite clever. See, um, going back even further, Nick, I would love to see what Stars was like when they were actually an operational unit. Like, what sort of what sort of things did they go out and, and do? In, you know, what what situations would they as a team be deployed for? Yeah, it almost relates to what in Degeneration as well, that kind of SRT unit as well. When, you know, was it, would the RPD get annoyed if the stars come in, you know, almost like a, a local office FBI? You know, you always in, in all the Hollywood films, you always, or TV programs, the local police force always get pissed off if the FBI turn up. Oh, not them, not them. I wonder, I wonder if that, that there's that kind of relationship at all between stars office, stars officer, or and and the RPD was it completely respected or was it mutually hated? And that's an interesting point, that because I mean, are they officially part of the RPD? Because they were stars were privately funded by Umbrella, weren't they? And whether they were just mm. based at the Raccoon Police Station, I don't know. Possibly because obviously with Irons under the influence of Umbrella as well, you know, did, did they basically kick out some someone out of their office, made some people redundant? So they could afford the wages, or what, you know, anything like that. There's, there's, there's elements there. I mean, they do. I mean, I assume they share resources with the police and that, but I, I would say there'd be quite a bit of animosity between the two of them. I could quite easily see that happening. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Kevin fail Star's entrance exams? Or was he that did. Yeah. He did. Yeah. You see, um, I've been scratching up in my knowledge. <laughs> well, he was going to join the. Uh, he was going to join the select police force, wasn't he? That was like going to be the replacement for stars. Was a uh, was something that's called the Select Police Force. Is it? Well, that's good. Did you know though that uh, even though Stars was formed in April 1996, they didn't actually become operational until December 1997. 
I did know that because Ridley put it on Facebook. Oh. <laughs> but no, I didn't know that before. Over years. This is just one big cut measuring contest on here, isn't it? About who knows how much. You know, I thought I had a pretty good, you know, good shot of it when I said, "Oh, the select police force is a very obscure reference." Yeah. And then comes Batman. Did you know that stars may have been invented in 1996, <laughs> but they weren't right. operational Don't. until 1998? <laughs> Don't worry about Nick's knowledge, John. Sounds- yeah, no, I He's going to be tested. I know. Um, oh, uh, jo- John, yes. I would refer you to the episode zero of the Project Umbrella podcast, where you quite categorically state, I don't know what I'm doing there. I don't know sod all about Resident Evil. Your opinion is... Why Why do you remember stuff like that? You said that. I yeah, know, but why do you remember it, David? Because... <laughs> all right, sorry. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just remember these things. Yeah, oh, dear. Yeah, anyway. uh, George, did you, want, did you want to say anything about the fall of the RPG? Any, any untold stories that you would like to see from that era? Um, not I mean not so much from that era because I think we've kind of got it with Resident Evil 2 haven't we and the, I think the only way that story can be retold is just you know with an HD remake my interest has always drawn a lot more to the stories in Resident Evil 2 than in Outbreak I was always fascinated by you know what the mansion would have been like for the operational and also that that period during the sort of was it the late 70s when they the t-virus was created created yeah we, yeah we, just, we spoke about that so you know i've always been into because i think capcom have missed a trick on a few occasions because they do have such a rich backstory the history and the politics of the politics of umbrella you know even between albert and william that's alluded to in the file when is it is it marcus purposely gets gets them at each other's throats uh, like to, to work up a, a rivalry so that that I've always been fascinated by that stuff and I think that you know Capcom could draw so much from that what about the story of the UBCS again you see bits at the opening video of RE3 you see them slaughtered kind of and then you kind of see the you know the result of that a few days later with Jill there could be a bit of story there again you get it with Carlos but I, I wonder if there could be a bit more in depth I, yeah, no, definitely. I think particularly with the fact that UBCS weren't they the part of Umbrella, the shady side, where you know they weren't really too fussed about the histories of the those the mercenaries that joined them. There's real scope for varied uh, backstories. Um, you know, you could have had it. I think a Billy Cohen type character would have been a lot best better placed there than in RE Zero. Yeah, and 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 there's obviously there's that interesting point with the placement and the amount of their corpses in the. Um, Oh, you know, in, in in the room with the, the final battle with Nemesis, in in in, in is it the well, they're, they're, oh yes, obviously yes, the the Green Barrows. Yeah, did wasn't didn't somebody ask? Doesn't it come up in the RE3 interview? Is is it maybe Kamora or someone else is asked about the um the presence of the corpses at the hospital? I think that was answered that it was a mistake. It was the design artists put bodies of special forces soldiers in there and. They had no relevance to the story. It was just a, a lack of communication, I think. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Okay, uh, well, that, that touches on quite nicely, actually, with the next um, area, the US government versus Umbrella. And this is a side that has been certainly followed up in RE6. The US's involvement with general biohazard weapon development and, you know, the kind of cloak and dagger-esque scene behind it. I think that's been certainly the most enduring questions in the series do they want to have any views that they want to talk about simmons especially as well of course of derek well it's it's sort of always been there behind the scenes and 
it was when sort of we got those Karamura interviews that sort of expanded on the details. It just made it so much more interesting. The idea that, you know, Umbrella supplied the US government with bioweapons and in return they've sort of tried to extend their influence within the government to make them more powerful. And obviously it's this uneasy alliance, isn't it? Because the government can't be seen to be affiliated with Umbrella's legal research. But at the same time... They want to be. <laughs> the government can't move against Umbrella without exposing themselves. And the president caught the brunt of that, which we saw in Degeneration. Yeah. So hmm. so I wonder how that would have actually played out in real life. How that would have, you know, if that actually did something like that. I'm sure it does happen anyway, but obviously not destruction of your own city. How how the world would have actually changed in real life should that have happened. But it's an interesting point. Um, I can't remember. When did we first get the hints of the US government involvement? Well, only three, wasn't it? It was three, wasn't it? I think supplemental material tells us that the US government was Umbrella's first customer when they began selling their bioweapons. When exactly that was, uh, I don't think has ever been stated. Well, here's what I think. I think that in regards to Umbrella, it's all going to date back to the Cold War because Umbrella was founded in, what was it, 67, 68? Mm. Which is pretty much near the height of the Cold War. So it stands to reason that the US government perhaps funded, in part, Umbrella's creation, or they uh. overlooked it, and they pretty much said, hey, you know, it's part of the military-industrial complex. We'll support you. We'll give you help out and stuff and all that business and cut down the corporate tax and all that stuff that I don't know anything about, but I like to think I do. So, yeah. The sort of relationship between the Umbrella and the government even though they were sort of in bed together, so to speak. I bet it was very uneasy because they must have always been worried about exposing each other. And then Umbrella obviously signed contracts with other sort of terrorists and countries across the world. And surely that must make the US believe that these weapons Umbrella is selling could be potentially used against them someday. You know, used against Americans. And then obviously when Raccoon City happened, the shit hit the fan because both were terrified of exposure. and then the both started to play off against each other, didn't they? And it's not too far from the truth, of course. I mean, lots of anti-war campaigners talk about how, um, you know, you send British troops into Iraq and they're, bit, you know, and it's British weapons, British-made weapons, British-sold weapons being used against British soldiers. It's just the same sort of principle. But if you talk about, I mean, going back to the Karamuri interview, he gives us, you know, such game-changing information. I mean, according to him, and we have to sort of take his word because he wrote Resident Evil 3, the US government didn't bomb Raccoon City to contain the biohazard. They bombed Raccoon City purely to stop the G-Virus from getting into Umbrella's hands. Mm. And That's a hell of a gambit to make, though, just for a virus. Uh, you know, detonating a nuclear warhead on American soil? I mean, surely that's going to have more dire repercussions than the G-Virus landing in Umbrella's hands. Well, yeah, but they got the government thought, well, if Umbrella get the G-Virus, they'll create all these new weapons and they'll, they'll use them against them. Because like the Karami whole house of cards came crashing down. Karamura's argument was Raccoon City was in the middle of the Midwest. It was quite isolated. It was in the middle of the desert. So there wasn't really a high possibility of the virus spreading. Hmm. Which is why I think, you know, if I brought, um, so the US government have gone to such extents to cover up the G-Virus, you feel their position is somewhat undermined by the fact that Frederick Downing was effectively able to walk out of Raccoon City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always hated that, that plot angle. Mm. You know, and it, again, it undermines um, Hunk's position as well. You know, if it, you know, he goes to such extent to get the G virus. You know, when 
effectively just a researcher who you could punch out with you know your little finger is somehow able to get out of the city without any problems at all. And it... What I would have done is I would have I would have basically gone right. Let's say the U.S. U.S. Army went in, special forces went in to retrieve Birkin. I bet when that plan went tits up, they took William, uh, not, uh, what's his name, uh, Frederick Downing, as like their backup, you know, their secondary kind of target, and going right, we we kind of missed out on Bergen here. That plan went tits up, but there's another guy here who's worked on the same project, who's worked on the same kind of deal as as Bergen. He was on his research staff, so we'll take him with us and see if he knows something. That could be how they explain how he got out of the city. And then maybe down the line, he got he went uh, rogue his own way. But then you've got to ask the question, how did he escape being detained by the U.S. Army? So, I don't know. I tried to fix it, but it's just another problem we got now with that. So. And then you've got Simmons, obviously. who He was all for the missile strike because he wanted to obviously eradicate any physical evidence of the government's involvement with Umbrella. And then again, Karamura says, well... It was the UBCS who managed to delay the sterilization operation because they had set up video cameras and were portraying to the world's media that Umbrella were heroically rescuing these civilians from Raccoon City. And that delayed the missile strike by several days, which gave enough time for Hunk to escape with the G-Virus sample. And obviously Spencer was using his political influence to delay it as well. So by the time the bombing happened, Umbrella had already got the G-Virus out. So it was all for naught in the end, I suppose. Yeah, and then the government was scrutinised for it, and that led to the resignation of the president and a new administration who had to take a firm anti-umbrella stance and, you know, went against the company all guns blazing. Hmm. I just think it's a really interesting angle, and all the information is hidden behind the scenes. You know, you have to really sort of dig deep to find it all. That's the biggest problem for the series as a whole, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the series playthrough, me and you, Sean, I felt so disillusioned at the end of it because... It's such a journey to go through all the games, and yet yeah. 70% of the story is not in the games. Yeah, yeah, I quite agree with that. Yeah. And by the time you get to six, you know, you're you're even getting content. You know, the the bulk of the story for six in itself is on a website where you unlock the files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's one of the first games I think you could ever truly say one of the un- features. The blurb on the back of the box may as well say "featuring unlockable story," <laughs> because it, essentially DLC. it is, isn't it? it essentially it is. You know, you have to shoot the medallions to unlock. You know what actually goes on within. You know, Claire is not mentioned in Resident Evil Six at all, unless you've gone around the fucking environment and shot medallions. Can you imagine this as a concept? Imagine that Capcom's offices in Japan. They're like, all right, so this. Uh, downloadable content kind of business is not going well people are catching on but i've got a better idea wait for this right you gotta love this dln what's dln downloadable narrative <laughs> i am waiting for the first game where you actually complete it and you have to pay a fee to see the ending mass effect 3 well, no, wait, no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> technically, but also, what was it? Was it Final Fantasy uh, 13-2, where they had some business where like, you couldn't get like the the full ending without downloading it? The actual ending was in like downloadable content. Mm. Asura's Wrath, as well, was another example. Like the actual ending was part of 
DLC where there's like a bonus mission afterwards that happened after the quote-unquote end of the game and you download this extra story that tells you what happened afterwards so it's like the real ending basically so yeah you yeah. pay for an ending so it already is happening Castlevania was the same the Lords of Shadow game featured like you know the actual last level of the game as DLC they're basically seeing how far they can push it yes I was about to say yeah yeah, John, you mentioned Mass Effect, and I'm currently playing Mass Effect 2. The first three Mass Effect games, each one is a fantastic game. They each have their you know strengths and weaknesses, and I actually prefer the first to the second or third. But they're phenomenal games, and the, and the next, there's very likely going to be another trilogy on the next generation. And I've got every confidence in Bioware that they're going to be the same standard as the first three. And I think they're in perhaps lies the problem with Resident Evil that Capcom have just fleeced everything you know they, they they sort of they've taken everything out of Resident Evil they possibly can and I think frankly that there's just been too many installments over too short a period of time involving too many people um, it's bloated the series is very bloated yeah. like if you look at Ori 6 they've basically looked at Ori 6 and gone right we'll, we'll put Wesker in there we'll put Chris in there we'll put Leon in there we'll put Aida in there we'll put all this other stuff in there let's just put all this stuff in there oh wait hang on it's a bit bloated now and the yeah. frustrating thing is where the, the, the lines of inquiry that are open to them that they could go down um, you know the, the past history that I mentioned before in the 70s and, and 80s or even the Wesker children story, they pass up in favour of just, you know, the mess we got with Six, or even, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy Revelations for, for the style, but again, the actual story, was, to me, was very very convoluted and unnecessary. Did they ever uh, follow up on the Alex Wesker story arc? We'll, we'll, come, to that. we'll come to that in a second, because uh, it's been requested as a topic to talk about. Lost in Nightmares... Um, has been requested for us to talk about from Yoke. Our member Yoke wants us to have a quick chat about this DLC because I know, George, it was something that you wanted a separate podcast on. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that's actually, that's a highlight in what has generally been a gradual downhill since really Resident Evil 3. Um, I mean, we can debate the significance and how much you enjoyed Dead Aim or Code Veronica, but really, if you, you know, comparisons with Mass Effect 3, you've, you've got the three main quality titles and really no, nothing, you know, no th- three further titles since since RE3 have matched any of those really for me. But a highlight in all of that for me was, was Lost in Nightmares and I think does actually prove that you can progress in into a, maybe a more combat-orientated context but still have you know a, a great survival horror atmosphere and survival horror gameplay so you know that i particularly liked how they structured the fight with blob the three i think there's three of them and the way that you know you have to corner them and so there was a little bit more thinking in that you weren't just blasting it, you know, yeah and and also the, the design of the enemy as well and where you were when you were fighting the enemy all, all three of those things together for me it was kind of a remake for the but for the now, so that's particularly why, why I enjoyed it. I have to say, and 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 with that went the, the the great story as well. Yeah, the Wesker children and yeah, everything about it. I just wish that had been the main game. The only criticism I have against Lost in Nightmares is for such a big mansion, there was hardly any rooms in it. Yeah, that was very. I I mean, I had that down perhaps to the fact that you know it was just a small mini game. But but you're right. You know, like a drawing room, a few more bedrooms. You know, even if there was nothing in them, just for sort of exploration's sake. Yeah, definitely. 
I agree with with what George just said though. It, it, we're going to look back at this generation um, as a whole and very shortly, but. Lost in Nightmares probably stands out as the diamond in the rough of the entire generation. It just summed up everything we love about the series, both in content, its files and everything. It provided a great atmosphere for the hour or so it took to complete it. And it's really the only time the series has felt like itself in a long time. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, for me, that highlight would have been with Resident Evil 4 had they got the story right. Because other than the story, I think RE4 was a, a perfect ideal way to progress uh, the series forward in, into like a more universally popular style of gameplay away, you know, away from the, the pre-rendered backgrounds and the, the very heavy third person perspective. So, yeah, if you perhaps if we'd had more of an, an, a Lost in Nightmares type narrative with, with RE4, then, that, then it would be perfect. And the files in Lost in Nightmares are excellent. I mean, we're easily pleased as Biohazard fans, you know. Give us some files <laughs> with some links to Code Veronica and Resident Evil Zero and, you know, previous adventures we've been through, and we're happy. Mm. Can't understand why they don't do that sort of thing much more and often. Was, yeah, and it was quite simple as well. You know, none, none, none of this the stuff that we got with RE6. It doesn't, and, you know, we, you know, looking back at the first three games, none of those stories are, uh, 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 you know, they're all quite basic very straightforward simple stories and the details kind of more in the character in in the characters and their personal backstories that we get in the files rather than you know all the detail being in a, in a changing in a constantly changing story with you know lots of different organizations and i kind of i think that that's been the signature of the recent games the theme of, of recent games whereas i think that's for me that's how resident evil has lost its way uh, we could have had a lot simpler, straightforward, you know, narratives, main narratives, you know, just simply searching around the mansion. Because I think, John, John, I mean, you mentioned, didn't you, when you first played RE1, you thought it was more like, a, you liked it because it was like a detective story. You know, you didn't quite know what was going on. You were unravelling yeah. uh, a mystery. And, yeah, and, and all the details, and the, you know, you, were just, you discovered throughout the game were quite small, but were sort of fascinating and interesting. But all that, to me, I think, for me, that particularly with Six and Revelations, all that's just gone in, in place of a, a huge kind of convoluted soap opera type story. Mm. Any more on Lost in Nightmares? I thought it was great. It's a shame it was just a very sort of cameo appearance, the, 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 the way that you could change it to third person perspective rather than over the shoulder. Right, moving on to my particular highlights. This this was requested by a member uh, of Project Somebody. He wants to talk about the mobile games. <laughs> he did. Well, <laughs> no, I, I won't dawdle because I know not everyone's played. You've it. made that up for you. No, you know, I haven't. No, I haven't. A, a, a Mr. End Pole of <laughs> Southampton has asked. <laughs> a Mr. Mr. David Cameron here has written in to uh, request his favourite uh, supporter. To talk about the mobile games. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask you, Nick, what is yes. your fascination with Confidential Report? I've read both editorials you've done, and they are actually brilliant, but I think so. why have you done it on a mobile game and not on one of the main series games? Because everyone knows everything, give or take. Everyone knows everything from the English versions of most of the games. Um, I know we, we did a very good one, well, um, El Bastardo did a very good one on Dead Aim, but there's so much ambiguity in the dates and whatnot. There's something to tell there, whereas no one's touched the mobile games with a barge pole. And what good, made you choose good. that particular mobile game? Is that sort of your favourite? Do you prefer that? Because I would have thought maybe, <laughs> maybe Gen- Genesis. No, no, uh, to be fair, it's, it's because it's made by Capcom. 
And that's the reason I remember we started setting up canon rules almost, you know, what's considered canon if it's made by Capcom. This was before the days of, you know, actually finding out who wrote the Blumen thing specifically, where our general rule was if it's written, if it's by Capcom, it's canon. So, you know, things like Genesis and Uprising have specific files that are I, I consider them canon because they're made by Capcom to insert into the into the canon themselves. But here you've got a whole series of games that well, the crap they're really bollocks they're so boring <laughs> so boring um but i like the fact that they were a bit like gaiden in that sense that everyone just instantly dismisses it well, why, why did you sorry why did you specifically choose confidential report over... because, because because it was made by because it was the only uh game made by capcom that had an original story well so do all the other all the other mobile games haven't been made by capcom no you've got um you've got genesis and uprising which is just a refresh of the same storylines made by capcom you've got the operations the missions the stories which are all basically you play as jill during re3 but you're just in one room and you've got to take out all the hunters move on to the next mission can i kind of shock you here i actually had the missions yeah, yeah my old uh, w595 sony ericsson <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not story there, but if they, I mean, I've never had them translated, but if, if there are um, files there, I, I would consider them canon, but, but I think they're old ones, um, just redone on it. But Confidential Report is an entirely new series um, in terms of storyline that specifically goes to the effort of introducing new characters to Resident Evil and you know, clearly set in Raccoon City. Why not explore it? Let's see, let's see how far you can take it. And how well how well does it fit? Does it do a better job than Operation Raccoon City? It does a better it does a better job than Raccoon City. The only they all do fit quite nicely, except file two. Uh, I can't remember the dates, but if, if if file one takes place on the same day, say Outbreak, then Confidential Report file two then says it takes place three days after file one. In order for file three and four to subsequently fit, uh, that can't work. But then, you know, I, I was able to dig out some things like the original press release for file two uh, says it takes place at a different time to when the game says it takes place. So if you use that as canon as opposed to what's in the game, then it all actually does fit quite nicely, bar from the fact that there's multiple nemesis. Mm. It's, it is generally the only thing. And I mean, you've got, yeah, you've got multiple nemesis. Uh, you've got the kind of angel strike, which is seen in Outbreak File 2. That's com- I say confirmed, but you've got multiple bunker strikes in that. You see lots of of the sewers infected earlier in the game, uh, earlier in the kind of outbreak of Resident Evil 2. Um, you've got all the frogs, which are then later installed into Dark Side Chronicles. Um, you get hunters. The only kind of weird thing is, I suppose, is the, the USS that are kind of there. Uh, Umbrella sends in uh, operatives to try and take down the FBI agent and the policeman trying to escape. But uh, it's never quite sure if that's actually uh, USS or perhaps even the uh, Undertaker units from Survivor. Uh, it's, interesting. it's interesting. Yeah, I appreciate the depth of put into it anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, if if it, it'd be better if it was a better game in the sense that it'd be better to, you know, you'd enjoy it and you'd, you'd want to get to the end. Whereas it's, you know, just to find out what happens at the end is it's bloody hard work. And um, it's very it's very hard for the final boss you've kind of got. You've got three nemesis in one room. You've got to take them all down if you do oh, the other yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. It's silly, it's silly. If you go the other way, then you've got the uh, Eliminator R, if you like, which is the you know the super super Eliminator monkey thing. But they, they do work quite well uh, within their own kind of 
universe if you like they're, they're quite intertwined storylines because you always if you play as tyler you start at one end of the setting and if you play as naomi you start at the other one then you meet right in the middle it does work quite well in that sense it worries me that you call it a setting and not a location what do you mean <laughs> is it not an actual location is it just a series of screens and maps oh yeah oh yeah of course yeah i mean it's You've got what is it, Nick? It's just screens and maps, but yeah. Um, at no point in the game does it mention Umbrella, Raccoon City, anything no, like that. No, are they in? A, are they in a building? Are they in a sewer network? What, what are they in? Well, they in. Well, the, the first one is an Umbrella factory okay. that, that goes down into a kind of sewer plant. It, it's like box. I think it's like a box factory. Nothing particularly special. It's got the sewer running in the middle of it. Underneath that is where Episode Four is set. Or file four, and that's where the big lab is, where they do, uh, where they make this MS virus, whatever you want to call it. You've got the actual Raccoon City Museum is episode is file three, and file two is um, Raccoon University or one of the colleges. See, it does make me sad that so much effort is put into a title like that that ultimately didn't get played by a lot of people. Well, I wouldn't recommend playing it, but um, it's that, this is why I was drawn to it, because there is a lot of effort that has gone into it. Four series of games, you've got like an arms dealer, which is a bit like the, you know, the chap from RE4. Uh, it's, it's all online connected in Japan. You could go onto iMode system and trade weapons with other players and things like that. So that, see, this is where we're in. This is why we're in a global recession. <laughs> because, seriously, because I resources and money will have been poured into this project and what return would it have really brought capcom in all honesty mm. Mm. yeah exactly um but well, you know nick something to do didn't it, it, it? it did give me something to do <laughs> I've, I've drawn out i've drawn out all the maps um and well, <laughs> okay we need to make a little cheap mobile game that will give nick something to do <laughs> No, but that's it. I was, I was just amazed the detail you went into with this editorial. <laughs> Why not just do it on like Survivor or Biohazard Two, something like that? Yeah, but what's what's to discover? But it's the theory, isn't it? It's like like you said, the theories in in El Bastardo's thing. Yeah, but I, I, I'm not I'm not sure theories are warranted nowadays. So didn't see the point. Do I detect a bit of bitterness there? Nick? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Maybe what he's really saying is like, oh, why didn't I write about Survivor? I could have had my name and, mm. you know, inscribed there on we go. the tapestry uh, of lore. In terms of other mobile games, I'll just I'll just run through them as uh, as quickly as I can remember. Uh, that Biohazard Eye Survivor is also shite. That's kind of like a bit like Metal Gear Acid, as far as I can tell. It's a card. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you compare Metal? Did you basically say Metal Gear Acid was a shit game? Nope. Good, I said, I said Biohazard I Survivor's a shite game, but it, it, it is a kind of card-based game, a bit like Metal Gear Acid. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I take that <laughs> back. Because I've got to say, if you, if you call it that, you know, the Acid games bad, I, I'd be angry, because okay. they were great. They really were great. Mm. Sorry, go on. Uh, you had uh, games like Assault the Nightmare, which was made by a different company, which was a first-person shoot-em-up, which is crap. Again, a bit of an original storyline going on, but nothing. Uh, it, was, it was basically House of Dead. Uh, we've talked about the silence, uh, so the, uh, the missions, the stories, um, the operations. We talked about Genesis as well, which is actually very, very much like um, confidential report kind of turn-based system. Uh, Survival Door and Zombie Buster are basically apps where you've just got to pick the right door to progress something stupid. What about uh, the Resident Evil Four mobile game? Yeah, they're quite impressive. I mean, they run on the four engines used in the degeneration mobile game which we've spoken about as well and um that's quite i mean i found them quite hard to control on the iphone but i think they're quite good um you know if you if you want a bit 
that kind of thing. But um, it's a very dampened down version of Biohazard 4 Mobile Edition. So, but the, unfortunately, yeah, again, I was, I was instantly drawn to Degeneration because it's an original storyline, albeit within the, um, you know, within the within the movie setting, to see if there's anything we could kind of take from it to add to the storyline. But unfortunately, I don't think there has been. <sighs> yeah, so I, th- I think that's uh, I, th- I think I think that's it. There's there's not been anything out for quite a long time. You've got Outbreak Survive, which is a um, I haven't really looked into this, but this is a Facebook type game in Japan. Um, I, I don't really know anything about it, but I think it's, I think it's a bit like what's that farm game, Farmsville, isn't it? You can get on yeah, Facebook. Isn't, isn't there something? Is it not Glee? What is that thing on Facebook? Uh, Gree, Gree. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, yeah. Gree, yeah. It, it's like, it, yeah, it's to do on on. I think you're right. It's like Farmville. It's that type of thing. I mean, here we go again. It's it's almost like when you get as I mean, like what George Lucas has done with Star Wars and just, you know, the, the integrity goes and weakening the brand, you know, you've got Yoda selling fucking is it Vodafones. Um <laughs> and no, but it's the same, you know, I think it's just too much and, and I think they're spreading like in the recent Doctor Who episode, he he said I think the ridiculous um excuse John Hurt gave for regenerating. Didn't he say I'm I'm spread too thin or something? I'm wearing too thin. I'm wearing too thin. I was like, oh, but like the, I, 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 a little I, thin. Which they're, they're spreading the series that it's too thin over too many formats and consoles, and I I I just don't think it does the series any good at all. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. I, you know, I just like it. as many new stories as possible, really, that can tie in time with the series. But never mind. Confidential report is is not worth playing. Anyway, uh, the final uh, topic that someone wanted to talk to us about was uh, Biohazard 7, reboot or continuation? I think it's a simple question that I'm going to pose to each of you. We've answered this countless times. I know we have, but people want to... Reboot the gameplay, keep the story. I mean, when you say continuation, I mean, continuation from what? From from (laughs) from the the thread started with with Lost in Nightmares, the thread started with revelations there's nowhere to go in terms of the story or any of these characters what else can they possibly do with them just just so Ada. yeah the only, only rock left unturned but you know even if they did decide to spin it into a new direction as long as it just it existed within that timeline and universe if they actually said you know you know what for the next resident evil game we're not going to number it we're just going to call it resident evil we're going to wipe the storyline slate clean and we're going to start in 1998 again i would just be like Please just fuck off. I, yeah, I, I don't think I could. Come. And isn't that similar to what they do with Mass Effect in in terms of you know with that with that next um, in, in instalment they're not going to be using it's going to be set in the same universe but it's not going to have any of the same characters as before. But that's uh, fine as long as it's with the yeah. same universe. I don't I don't mind that because it's honouring what's come before and it's still allowing that to exist within its within the storyline. Whereas like what they did with Devil May Cry and the new Castlevania games was basically abandon everything that's come before it and say we're going to start again and it's rubbish mm. the problem at the moment is it's so disjointed even if capcom wanted to end it how could they end it because there's nothing going on yeah we've not got a villain we've not really got anything going on apart from these isolated terrorist incidents they could have had Derek simmons he, think... he was all the makings of a great villain but we spoke so if we were going to finish it it would have to be the storyline of ada and then just round the round the series off with that yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I think Ada is a logical bridge if they're going to reboot the gameplay and introduce new characters. I think Ada is a is a good bridge between the old generation and the new. I don't know about you, but I still, she's still a small time player in my opinion, Ada. No, she's not now. She's not, she's not now, but she's. I mean, we've spoken before about them not having a major villain anymore, but 
I'm wondering if they could do with some sort of event that could spin lots of different games around. Like, you know, the plot of the first game is basically people going missing in the woods. And they managed to expand that over, what was it, one, two, three, four, the outbreak games, six, seven games, all based around that, that very vague plot line of people going missing in the woods. Mm. As I say, we, I'd love us to go back to Terra Grigia. You know, yeah. As we identified, it's a, just a big event. But I mean, not maybe not even a literal biohazard. Maybe just some some sort of catalyst that they can build lots yeah, of stories I like, around. I, I like that idea, as you say. Yeah, just one particular event that then could almost snowballs in, into a series. The problem is the popularity of reboots at the moment. You know, even like films, like I mean, Spider Man didn't need rebooting. Oh no, it's but, I mean, part of balmy, isn't it? As much as that, you know, I, I didn't like it. Even if the films are wonderful, the next four, five, six films. There's no reason why they couldn't have just carried on within the no, same it, universe. It makes the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi movies it's just sort of a bizarre trilogy now, and you yeah, wonder, yeah. you you wonder really what their relevance and importance is now. And they weren't that old. We, that, that that wasn't really that long ago, was it? To no. do a reboot, <laughs> 2002 Spider-Man. Yeah, it's not like it was from like the 80s or 90s or something. Yeah. But which game in reboots have actually been successful? Yeah. I mean, I think Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider is an excellent game, but you know, people have gone quiet about it and moved on from that already. And and bearing in mind that was its second reboot as well, because yeah. uh, Tomb Raider Legends was the first reboot. The problem with the reboot is if they rebooted it and made Resident Evil One, it's just not got enough lifespan to get all the way back up to Resident Evil Six again. A reboot would die off. They'd maybe make one sequel. They'd maybe make Resident Evil Two, and that would be the end. I just yes. don't think people would be interested in, in letting the story build all the way up again. This is but, where like the, the likes of Resident Evil and Metal Gear Solid, are, uh, they're sort of lasting the test of time because they've been around for, you know, Metal Gear Solid's case, 25 years. Resident Evil's nearly 20 and they're still going. And, what, and about, um, what about games like The Legend of Zelda or Metroid? They're still going after like 25 years. That's true, yeah. Years. They're, they're, yeah. Great, they're great <laughs> examples and the fans are happy to see new chapters of that. Nintendo well, need to get their act together. <laughs> that concludes our roundtable discussion on some of the topics that you wanted us to talk about. I hope we've uh, discussed them to your satisfaction. If not, well, tough. We move on to certainly the highlights of not only this podcast, but probably of our entire existence. We now have something very, very special to celebrate our final podcast. A man that needs no introduction, but he's going to get one anyway. It's our very special interview with DC Douglas. Sit back and enjoy. An interesting incident. Bizarre murder cases have recently occurred in a remote village in the Caucasus region of Russia. The villagers there are making noise that a legendary monster, Olmus, has been revived. The disastrous scene easily reminds me of the first bizarre incidents in Raccoon Forest. There's an old chemical plant three kilometers from the village that was built during the Soviet Union era, and according to the investigation, the property rights have now transferred to a prestigious European noble family. It seems foreign capital was invested five years ago, and a large-scale underground development was conducted. According to geological surveys, there's a solid bedrock that is perfect to construct a certain kind of facility on. It seems the crossword's somehow been solved. Umbrella has boldly survived for the five years since Raccoon's annihilation. Held responsible for the virus leak, and in spite of a plunge in their stock prices, they campaigned at the trial 
that it was all a U.S. government conspiracy, and succeeded in buying time until the final death sentence. It was fortunate for Umbrella that they had colluded with the government from the very beginning. Naturally, the nation has secrets just like anyone else if it clear the dust, and their survival tactics were to stir up public doubt by selling them in pieces to the court and the media. That which is called madness exists in varying degrees and lurks even in people, organizations, and nations. However, Umbrella was the most mad in that incident. The foolish Umbrella is showing signs of a revival. B.O.W.s are beginning to go rampant in conflict regions. The B.O.W.s are being supplied as weapons. Umbrella has organized itself under the surface and established a system to produce bioorganic weapons, and information has come in that they operate ships for transportation. It's time. They fidget with a T-virus, create mutant organisms, and sell them. Even if a certain amount of results were to appear, their imagination, which merely trifles with the virus as a medium for bioorganic weapons manufacture, will give themselves away again some day. The Philosopher's Stone belongs in the hands of a truly worthy alchemist. Those inept should withdraw in silence. Without a doubt, here will become the place of Umbrella's demise. You will give me an egg. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Well, yeah, it's good. It's, it's, I just, um, it's fun to call and hear all the accents. So, <laughs> oh, Yeah, I'm afraid I am I'm hideously British. Um, oh, hideously? Come on. I'm the, one, <laughs> I'm the one with the American accent. Right. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, I know your time is precious. Um, oh, please. Everybody's time is precious because we all die. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Uh, John, did you want to start with uh, some questions? All right, um, well, I've got a couple of questions here from a, a staff member on our forums. Um, she's a big fan of your work, and she's a big fan of uh, the character of Wesker in particular. And the first question is, uh, how do you feel about the amount of attention that you have continued to get for your role as Wesker? And do you feel that, uh, due to the popularity of that role, do you feel that it overshadows your uh, other roles you have done in voice acting? Oh, uh, well, that's kind of a sweet question, isn't it? Um, we could, <laughs> well, first off, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm an on-camera actor, so that's like that's that's where my first love is, is uh, doing film and TV. And uh, it used to be theater, but uh, theater in LA is depressing. And uh, so that's kind of where I, you know, put most of my eggs. The, uh, sorry, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the voiceover stuff has always been a way of just like paying the bills and whatnot. Now I enjoy doing voiceover. It's great, but I don't get to use my body and my eyes really. You only get to, unless I'm doing the mocap thing, which is kind of exciting. But, uh, and even then they still can't get the eyes right. So, uh, you know, any attention that I get for doing voiceover work, any attention is pretty remarkable. Um, funny enough, the, uh, the first ever attention any attention I ever got for doing voiceover work wasn't from, um, and I hadn't been in any big games then. I, I had done some anime stuff, uh, anime games and shows and whatnot, and you know, no one could care less. Uh, this is actually a whole new phenomenon with people like appreciating the voice actors. But prior to uh, uh, or the Resident Evil stuff, I did, I think, Biohazard, 
And then I got in trouble with the Tea Party, and I was doing these tag announcing announcements on um, an insurance commercial called Geico. And they're uh, really big over here in uh, America, huge. They play all the time. So they're like a, on a blacklist for other political groups. So essentially, I got caught in the middle of uh, – I was used by um, – this what we have here a thing called the Tea Party conservative movement. So they were using uh, a phone call I made to them because I think they're idiots, and I called to tell them that in in less <laughs> less than proper terms, I guess. And uh, it became national news here for a week. And uh, all of a sudden, my Facebook page, which had a thousand fans, like like climbed up to ten thousand fans. <laughs> so it started with these political people, and there were like some there were some Biohazard fans from uh, Umbrella Chronicles. You know, that, so I'd gotten some attention, but it was like nominal. And uh, then when I got RE5, so that was like my first big experience with like getting fans. But it was like they're like political. They thought I should be doing political things. So it was the way you should look at it, uh, and the way you should look at it though is like you know if they're going to sort of use uh, you for that particular reason, then you should you know use them vice versa. You know, basically to which, just climb your popularity. Exactly, which is what I did. I, I jujitsued them, um, and. Uh, and turned it into another week of, of news, national news, on a, uh, a month later because I didn't feel like I got my say out there perfectly. So if you go to, uh, if you type in Tea Party PSA, like public service announcement, teapartypsa.com, it'll, it'll redirect you to the, a video I did um, that I put out a month later. And that got really big uh, and got me on to um, uh, CNN and talking to Joy Behar about it. And, and it was, you know, put on Huffington Post and all those other political things. But it was like my way of like, you know, having my final say on the entire matter, because the, the whole thing was ridiculous. Um, anyway, I think RE5 came out and then that was like it was like a slow burn because first it was like there were people that hated the fact that I was going to be doing it because they said, wait a minute, what happened to Richard Waugh? And. People didn't realize that they moved production from uh, Canada back down to the States. And uh, so that's the only reason that was that they said the switch. And, you know, they've had several voices play him. Um, I think, uh, again, the attention of the fans to the voice work is kind of a new phenomena in this uh, in this century. So I think video game companies are now going to pay more attention to that and be a little more faithful to the actors that they use. You know, if they're available and they can use them, they'll use them. Also, they're doing so many more celebrities now as well. So um, so I was like right at the end there where they're like, oh, no one cares. Let's switch the voice. <laughs> and uh, so I had a lot of haters before I had lovers. Um, and, and then it, and then it's evolved. So how do I feel about it? I'm sorry. I'm so long winded, guys. Catch me at a convention. And then I've been drinking and then I, I, I really don't stop. So. Um, <laughs> so to get any attention from voiceover work, fantastic. Do I does it bother me that it overshadows other voiceover work I've done? Not necessarily uh, because it's attention. I mean, normally we wouldn't get any attention. And if anything, um, I use it to try to promote other things that I'm doing when I'm in an indie film that I really believe in, you know, that paid me, uh, uh, you know, one fifteenth of what I get paid for a video game or something. You know, I it's fun to be able to direct their attention to to something like that and uh, uh, so that's neat and then when I'm on TV in the States a lot of uh, we have uh, I have a lot of uh, US fans obviously on the site so they get to tune in and watch them on television and then they freak out and they go oh look Wesker's on a kids show you know that kind of thing I mean it's, it's sort of like um, you know you have that the popularity is incredibly beneficial because you get fan, you know, a lot of fans of, uh, of, of the Resident Evil series and they'll go, oh, that guy was really talented. I like him. He was, he was good. Uh, DC Douglas, what, what else has he been in? And then they'll go to Internet Movie Database. They'll look up your previous work, what else you've done. And they'll be interested in, in things that they would not normally 
have checked out if they didn't know you were in it. Right. So yeah. it, it, it benefits it really. But I think the one that I like the most because it's um, that the people discover and they're both voiceover things is uh, because the audiences are fairly different. There's a little overlap, but not much at all. Is is when somebody who who knows that uh, knows me as Wesker discovers I did Legion and Mass Effect, and uh, and then they're like kind of blown away because it's like on the whole other end of the spectrum. It's like you know, it's a. Uh, granted, I always play characters that die apparently, but um, it's uh, you know, but he's the one you want to root for. Uh, you root for for good reasons. <laughs> yeah, the, the voiceover Sean Bean. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> It's interesting, actually, the way you say about your name and then you you know find something in a different medium. That's exactly what happened to me with uh, The Simpsons and Kelsey Grammer. Um, oh, right. You know, I, obviously, everyone loves Sideshow Bob and then ended up watching Cheers and Fraser as a result. So I think I think that's a very appropriate thing. And it, I suppose it happens. It's like it, it, it's a gateway, isn't it, really, to... Yeah. Uh, other things that they would not normally have looked into. Like I said before, you know, it's like, say, if someone is not really a fan of science fiction, but you did, uh, you had to go, oh, look, Mass Effect, you know, who was in that? You know, and they'll right. look you up on the well, database, and there you go. So. I had a few a few fans, I don't know if they're going to follow through, but they, I just got, there's a game that just came out called NBA 2K14, which is a sports game uh, playing uh, basketball. And there's a whole My Career, they call it My Career story that you can play, so you can actually... You go through the ranks, and you have an agent who's your best friend, and and whatnot. And then at one point, when you get really hot, you meet a new agent who's a big Hollywood guy who's going to take you to the, the big time. And that's me. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a bit sleazy. That was fun, and then I got the full full mocap for it. So it was it's, and and they basically made the character look like me, though <laughs> though I think. You know, they spend most of their time making the NBA stars, you know, trying to make them look identical so that when it came to my character, they're like, well, that looks close enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ah, that'll do, you know. <laughs> I, look, I, look, I look a little like a melting Bill Pullman who's eating jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um, I was going to say that sort of uh, ironically enough leads on to the second question, which About is jalapenos. sort of... Um, well, not not quite, but the whole sort of sleazy kind of character kind of, kind of deal, it sort of straight out leads on to that, because um, this second question is quite controversial, but she did insist that I ask it, so don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> um, basically, the question is, um, do you ever sort of, oh, this is, how, this is how she's worded it, I'm just basically reading off my script, so I'm, I'm washing my hands of the whole affair. I like how I'm, uncomfortable you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm washing my hands of it. I'm exempt from this, you know. <laughs> basically, do you ever get creeped out by any of the more uh, zealous attention that you get, uh, particularly from adoring female fans, or do you sort of, you know, do you sort of roll with the punches on that? And uh, an extension of that question is, uh, you know, what's the, the, the weirdest encounter that you've had thus far? Oh, well, first off, no, I never get creeped out by attention. That's really sweet. So, and and if, if if it's online stuff, it's like delete. You know, I get creeped out when I read the comments section on CNN. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> there's there's always going to be weirdness out there, whether or not you know it's purposely directed at me. Uh, but what I will say is, uh, the, as far as the sexual nature of it, because and you know, but it's not just girls, by the way. It's also you know, there's the whole Yowie thing between Wesker and Chris and all of that. But that actually, all of that stuff. Like I went to, uh, I was at a convention in um, well, Maryland, or Washington D.C., and um, it was this uh, really tiny con. It was sweet though, and the people were really sweet. But this guy comes up and wanted me to read a passage from, and you guys will know the book. I don't. Apparently, it's some um, very, it's a whole erotic book about Resident Evil, and uh, and had me read a passage what? from it. Uh, uh, I tried to. I wish I could remember the name of the book. 
Uh, I just I just like the fact that you assumed that you know, we would know about this well, erotic yeah. literature. And... <laughs> well, so I read out this passage, and of course, you know, everybody is in stitches and titillated and and flush and all of that. And I thought this, and that gave me an idea. And I'm like, there's so much erotic fiction for these characters. And, you know, you go to these conventions and these are, you know, everyone's a little tipsy and everybody's obviously, you know, well, it's, you know, young people be young people. Well, so will older people. But anyway, um, I thought, why not do an erotic panel? So I've created uh, a, a Albert Wesker erotic fanfic panel. And uh, it was 60 minutes. It's, I've, it's now 90 minutes long in order to do it properly. And uh, it's it's not a Q&A or anything. I show up, I do a little brief explanation as to what it is, and then we get going. I try to set mood lighting. We've got flashlights. <laughs> There's music playing. And I bring up volunteers from the audience to read with me. And I have uh, uh, several different fan fictions for different characters, Wesker and other characters. And it's and we're talking NC-17, like you need to be over 18. Do you need to be, and, and the states have to be 18 or over, or 16 or over, depending on the state. Um, and to go in to hear it, but uh, people are laughing more than they're doing anything else. And uh, but it's it's uh, it's my way of like doing theater without having to you know rehearse for six weeks. It's all good <laughs> fun in the end in, as well, isn't it? In fairness, uh, DC does encourage this quite a lot on Twitter. It's it's quite a it's quite a machine gun. Well, I gotta say, sometimes. you watch this. I have a video that promotes it as well. But it's, it's uh, and I've got this great artist that I work with, the animator artist um, Umbrella Spectre is her name on Twitter and uh, DeviantArt and whatnot. And she's doing these animations. So she's got the models from the game for uh, Wesker. And so we've created animations with Wesker. Obviously, I throw in the voice. And uh, we just actually created a, a, an ending for it. Cause I never had an ending for it. We had the, I had a whole special opening that you only see at the con. And then, of course, the readings, the live readings. Now I have this very quick ending that we do at the very, which is just disgusting, but it's hysterical. <laughs> but so the only way to see it is you got to book me for a convention. So, do you do many over here, DC? None. I've not done one. Uh, no, you know, they, it's a sad thing. Again, it's like I literally I became the character. I mean, I, I got uh, Umbrella Chronicles. Nobody, you know, really. It was one of those ancillary games, so. Uh, uh, there wasn't as much attention about it. So, but when RE5 happened, I think there must have been confusion between my agent and Capcom or something, because my agents were great. They got me a great rate. I'm talking shop here a little bit, sorry, but they got me a great rate as a recording uh, person because you know you don't get residuals off of video games. Um, that's why it's uh, on the totem pole of how you can make money. You, you got anime at the bottom uh, when you dub anime. It's like you don't make any. It's it's very little for when your whole career is based off of acting jobs. Um, and uh, then above that are video games. You just still don't make that much money doing video games. You get into residuals. And then after that, then you get into commercials where you can get residuals and you can actually buy a house and that kind of thing where you can really, you know, uh, get ahead. And so that's why I, you know, most of my voiceover concentration goes on trying to get commercial work um, or cartoon work. I'm on a cartoon, a Transformers cartoon here in the See. States. So I guess there was a little misunderstanding. I think they thought I was going to be really expensive if I went on tour at, when the game came out. So when they were bringing the cast to Japan, which I would have loved to have gone to, uh, <laughs> or uh, I don't know. I, they may have brought them over there to the UK. I'm not sure. Um, they brought uh, uh, Ken Lally uh, for Wesker, who was the physical body mocap for him. And uh, and uh, so they had all the voice actors and then the motion capture guy. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> so, you know, but good on him. I'm glad he got, I mean, he's, he's a sweet guy and all that. So I'm, I'm happy for him. But had I known, it was like, you know, I would have, I, I would have gone for free to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> What I find interesting about uh, 
what you said there is that um, you know anime is the lowest rate of pay you get, and yet for video for dubbing, yeah. But I mean, in terms of video games, I mean, considering how huge the industry is, the games industry is, how massive it's become in uh-huh. recent years. Yeah, surely that you know it should surely. be a lot higher than commercials. <laughs> I mean, logically, right? I mean, am I wrong? <laughs> well, there's a thing here called uh, our union, and um, they make sacrifices in some areas so they can make uh, gains in other areas, you know, and uh, that's just kind of the deal right now. Um, hopefully, it's going to have to change eventually. They get, the thing is, is they get these stars in there, and then they can work out any deal that they want. They can work out back end points, things like that, or they get these huge fees just to show up for you know a two hour recording session. And of course, you know they're not going to they're not going to you know sneeze at that if you know fifty grand come in and record this. Sure. And then of course they bring in the next actor to work for four hours, and then and then he gets nine hundred dollars. So <laughs> so one day that model has to change because we're going into digital delivery and and all of that. So but uh, but listen, and I'm not uh, poo pooing. I, I I do like to work. So and yes, you're right. They make it's a, a an amazing amazing margin of profit that they get off those games. You know. But then of course, if you worked on one of those games as not as a, a voice actor, but let's say you worked on it as an animator. As one of the designers or something, you know, uh, one of the many people that is just come and show a nine to five working on your computer, you put a lot of work into that game too. You got paid in, you know, your hourly wage or your salary, and then that was it. You don't get residuals on it as well. Uh, and so then there's this kind of bitterness towards the actors that they that that they want it, or if, they, if if we get it, then we get it. You know, that they'll they'll be bitter about that. And it's hard to explain to people that actors. There's no way to survive as an actor unless you achieve a certain level of success. And that certain level of success is you just get lucky and keep getting booked on gigs enough that you can pay your bills. But like, I never know how much money I'm going to make by the end of the year. But a guy who's working as say an animator on a game or, or in an office as an accountant or wherever, you know how much money you're going to make in a year and you can live accordingly. So uh, as an actor, our lives are very kind of crazy, which is why residuals was a way of allowing us to survive during those low periods when we don't get a lot of bookings so that we can continue to be, you know, uh, available talent wise, be available to the industry. So it's a hard, it's a hard concept to explain to a lot of people. So you, um, yeah, you mentioned that um, Umbrella Chronicles, which is, which is the big one because it, it, you know, I don't know if you can remember, but when that first came out, the reaction caused you and Ken Larley to actually sign up to a forum and speak to some of the fans about some of the reaction that you were getting. I mean, did that hit you pretty hard? Because, you know, we know the fan base and we know how ungrateful they can be at times. I didn't. We see, I didn't even realize how big the game was when I did Umbrella Chronicles. So, I mean, I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware of all the the hate until RE5 was announced and 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 that it was apparent that I was doing it. Um, and also, it was, you know, it, you know, it's just how it is. Business is, isn't personal. Um, and Richard Waugh found out, uh, wasn't told. Just he found out all of a sudden he wasn't. In fact, he'd recorded some for the Umbrella Chronicles yeah. and then found out that they then moved it to L.A. and then replaced his voice, which, just so you know, happens all the time in this business. So uh, in voiceover especially. I've, I'm, in, I'm listed on Dragon Age, uh, Dragon Age and Dragon Age 2 for voiceover work that uh, I did this whole role of this troll that I love doing. Well, they rewrote his storyline. They had to. And so, of course, do they call me back in? Well, no, because they're seeing 100 actors for that game. 
So they're like, who's in the studio right now? Hey, could you do a troll voice also? Great. And then the, they record them. And then all of a sudden, my performance is gone from the game. So it's just how it goes. Or sometimes we'll record several people for a role and they'll pick and choose later, you know. But to, to, to your question, um, the fact that there were fans to begin with, the, that it was that big a thing was a surprise to begin with. Um, so, yeah, at first it did hurt. But then keep in mind, I also went through the whole tea party thing. So, um, <laughs> um I'm, you know, you take it, you take it in stride at one point. You'll find there's certain people that just want to hate you no matter what. Um, I think right now there's one holdout out there that still doesn't, who doesn't like me as the voice, but, uh, but I think finally acquiesced and said, well, you know what? He does all this fan service with his videos, so he can't be that bad a guy. <laughs> well, in fairness, DC, I think you silenced every critic with the performance in Five, which is universally accepted as Wesker's best performance. Um, was the reaction to Umbrella Chronicles, did that affect the approach to the character was in Five, or was you just given more creative freedom? Well, that's the, uh, you know, there's a whole, um, uh, if you ever want to see me, kind of like answer fan questions there's a you look up the last wesker interview dc douglas something like that you'll you'll find a video i did it's about 15 minutes long where i took questions from around the world from fans and i answered them all uh and i kind of go into detail about this I'll, I'll do it here too but the when i went in because there's four four actors have done uh wesker's voice which includes myself uh the others are uh sergio jones um who was the first one and then you have peter jessup and richard waugh who kind of alternated uh depending on where production was and so when I went into audition for Umbrella Chronicles, they played Peter Jessup uh, and they asked to voice match him. So, and I know Peter, we're, we have the same agent, he's an awesome guy. And he wasn't available to, to be in for that one. So I'm, you know, I, I worked on his voice and all of that. And I didn't know, any, I didn't know anything about the game prior to that. Um, I had heard Resident Evil, but I didn't know anything else about it. And uh, so I booked that. So when I got, got RE5, First off, I auditioned for the the, the physical mocap stuff, but um, I had thrown my back out uh, <laughs> in my house, and so all I could do was walk around and point a gun, and that wasn't going to work for the character. <laughs> but the uh, but when I got it, I went in for the first record session, and I'm all prepped to 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 do my kind of Jessup impersonation, and they play Richard Waugh, and I'm like, oh. Ah. Can you play another line, please? Could you play another line, please? <laughs> like I had to learn on the fly kind of what he sounded like. So it's me trying to let go of my Jessup impersonation and try to bring back in Waz and Perp thing. Plus also, he's, his character's changing so dramatically in there. Plus also, I want to put my stamp on it. So it was a big evolution um, on the fly doing that. And that was several record sessions over summer. So, um, And then, of course, once... He's injected himself and all that. It's that really gets to be more my voice than anything. So, but uh, yeah, so it was a very funky experience trying to incorporate both of the other performers. I'm wondering if was that was a, a mistake on Capcom's part then, because Richard War actually played the role after Peter Jessup. So I was surprised when you said they wanted you to imitate Peter Jessup. You know, it could it, it could very well be that this happens in uh, the commercial world too, where you have um, in uh, ad agencies you'll have different departments handling different aspects of a campaign, and so I'll work with one director on the, on a spot that's running, and then the next director comes in for the session, and he's like, okay, so we want the voice to be like, and I'm like, oh, you don't want it to be like what we've just been doing. It's like they want to have their kind of personal thing on it. So I, I think the ancillary games, uh, you've got the, the the big ones, the the one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, and then you have these other side games. And I think sometimes different departments may be handling those side games. And so that director of that game may go, well, I've always preferred the Jessup version because that's what we've been using. So yeah. let's go. And then, of course, you go to the big game. And they're like, well, the last big game had Wah, so you need to sound like Wah. So. Right. But in five, they didn't pressure you to imitate anyone. You could just do what you no, wanted no, no, to do. No, 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 they did. 
Oh yeah, who's constant pressure? No, they uh, <laughs> no, they wanted me to do Richard. Uh, well, it's how do I put this? It's like here's the Wesker voice, and they play Richard Waugh. That's how they do it. And I'm like, and I said, oh, I was thought it would be the Jessup, and they go, no, it's this one. I'm like, okay, but of course you do what you do. So there's there's a little room. It's not like they said you have to be a sound alike. And then of course each each game's got a different director. So in this one, Liam O'Brien has his ideas as to how he wants the character to to evolve and sound. And, you know, Liam O'Brien comes from the uh, school of acting that's very physical, very, uh, you know, connect to your animal. Uh, so he, he is what helped bring that into uh, Wesker, which probably made him a lot sexier for the, the, the female fan base, or, well, the, the fan base. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, uh, when, I, when I heard uh, Wesker, uh, the voice you did for Wesker and Ori 5, uh, well, no, actually, particularly uh, Umbrella Chronicles. Now, uh, you may not know who this person is, but it just reminded me of um, the actor uh, Kenneth Williams from the old Carry On movies back in the 70s. Sort of in the same vein as uh, as Benny Hill uh, kind of deal. It's just it reminded me of, of, of that actor, basically. I have to go look him up, but I'm, I like, I'm curious how that connects to Benny Hill. <laughs> <laughs> Benny Hill, I know. Benny Hill sent me a signed picture. <laughs> have you ever had any feedback from Capcom regarding this sort of unofficial use of the character such as the voicemails you've done and like the old spice advert it's funny well you see i don't make any money from any of that stuff the fan service stuff and all of that i would imagine they i can't imagine they would tell me to stop because everybody does it out there so and all the things that i've done you know have pretty much been above i mean this erotic stuff might be questionable but again that's why i'm not putting (laughs) out videos or anything like that i'm it's like you have to be at the con to see it and no one can record it while you're there and all of that so i think that's you know and that's just me performing live doing silly stuff but the, the videos that I have put out, I, I can't imagine that they would be offended. It's it's they're, it's more, it, it keeps generating interest and... Uh, it's free advertising. Yeah. It's free advertising and makes the fans happy. Exactly. So, and I mean, and they've said he's dead. So, you know, what you going to do, Willis? <laughs> so I was just going to say it must work because um, Capcom have recently announced that Resident Evil 5 is their biggest selling game of all time ever. Really? So, yes. Well, well, well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't feel so bad about having such a high fee for those sessions. <laughs> Project Umbrella in Brazil had me do, um, they wanted me to do all of the, uh, what are they, uh, the Wesker reports. Yes. Uh, they wanted me to do the, because I guess uh, Wah had recorded the, the first ones. Yes. And uh, Richard Wah. So Richard Wah did the, the, the first one, so they asked me if I would do the second ones. Um, and so we, I thought, you know, each year uh, for they have the uh, Wesker week. That I would record uh, one of the the chapters or um, oh, wow. or one of the reports, I guess you'd call them. Each year, so we've done two so far. The funny thing is, DC, you, you may not realize this, but you are sort of the unofficial ambassador for the series now. I mean, you know, you promote it more than Capcom does at the minute. You know, aren't you? <laughs> and um, no, it's, it, I just want to say, from a fan's point of view, and as someone who's been a fan of the series for half my life, it's so refreshing to actually have someone who's worked on the series in the capacity you have and give so much of their time to, to record material because you see like to fans like us that you know the fact that you've recorded some of the Wesker's Report 2 chapters for example it is you know it means a lot to us and it, you know it's still we, we just lap it up you know Aww. and it's you know there's not many franchises where you have people who've worked on it so actively involved in an unofficial capacity, and it, you know, it's very refreshing. Well, that's sweet. Other people might say it's pathetic, but um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 
you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a social media whore no matter what, and I'm a performer, and and so you know when I was when the political stuff was hot and people following for that, I started putting out a whole bunch of different little political uh, uh, video things to make my comment about what was going on here in pl- politics, to have fun and to make a joke or be gadfly, you know, and then of course eventually. The, the politics calms down um, and people aren't as interested. And then it's great. Then I leave it alone. When people are no longer that interested in, in uh, the Resident Evil stuff and all that, I'll probably, you know, leave that alone as well. So um, but it's I'm appreciative of having fans. So and, uh, and of course, in the Resident Evil universe, whoa, I don't see why they can't do one of those smaller games and go back in the timeline with Wesker. So I do this so that if they decide to use a different voice, there will be an <laughs> uproar like they never heard. <laughs> I, I don't know if you know. In in the last game, Resident Evil Six, they introduced Albert Wesker's son. Yeah. So that there is there is scope for uh, the return of your character yeah, in some capacity. I was going to say, yeah, I, I think you've been really unlucky with the character, really, because Wesker was sort of at his most popular, thanks quite a lot to yourself, and then Capcom decided to kill him off, and well, they've, yeah. they've struggled to replace him since the 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 games they've released subsequently have suffered because of the lack of like a major villain. You know, that dynamic was well, is not there anymore. Yeah, and I just think yeah. you've been you've been really unlucky with that because obviously you love the character <laughs> yourself, and the, the fans have really taken to you, and Capcom have really screwed it up by killing you off. <laughs> I just well, this... have they, or maybe they maybe they're setting a plan. Who knows? All I know is that that at the end of my session, the final one, uh, um, I turned to Ruben and and uh, I, I said, guys, I'm, uh, this is the, the funnest I've had doing a character. Thank you so much for giving me such a great role, and damn you for killing him at the same time. <laughs> I, I just sort of imagined... And, but but Ruben, uh, Ruben chimed in right afterwards, and he said, said, hey, this is Capcom. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. and then they replace him for Dante. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to... I just... I mean, I just imagine, like, um, when you found out that Wesker, you know, the character you'd voice is really popular is being killed off, and you're like, oh, you know, whatever. And then you realize, hey, at least I voiced Legion, you know, in Mass Effect, he's 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 popular, Legion's popular. <laughs> and then you get your agent comes over and says, yeah, DC, yeah, I just uh, spoke to the guys from Bioware, and uh, they're killing off Legion, I'm afraid. Yeah. So, you know, here's, the thing. here's the thing, is the, uh, I am the voice of the Geth, so uh, yeah. I'm the only one who voices the Geth. So if the Geth appear in any future game, hopefully they'll remember that <laughs> and they'll bring me back. DC, <laughs> just quickly, with um, with Five, was there any ever unused material that you recorded? Because it, it changed from inception to end release quite dramatically in places. I would have Did... no idea. Because, again, my sessions were, they, you know, they, they recorded kind of the old-fashioned way, which was... Um, in, in very piecemeal, and so I'd get an Excel sheet that had all my lines. Sometimes it had a line previous that someone else says. So the only context I'd get is whatever Liam was able to understand from the translator who was talking to the director in the other room. And and or we're, we're seeing a scene of mocap people uh, or an animatic and then kind of piecing together what's sort of happening there. I never knew from point A to point Z what the story was for my character. Even when I was yeah. all was said and done, because even I think I went in at one of the last sessions I went in and I was recording things at the very beginning of the game, so it was all out of order for me. I had no idea. It's a whole different beast, you know, as opposed to doing you know television or film where you have your whole script, you know where your character's going, and then you can break it up into pieces. So uh, how did uh, how was it? You know, when the first time you read complete global saturation was that, did, did that roll off the tongue well? <laughs> <laughs> when I wasn't laughing. <laughs> <laughs> That was my question leading on to it was when you approach any role and you see quite 
heavy jargon at times. Uh, obviously, in this case, like Uruburus and T virus, umbrella, you know, umbrella. And how do you approach that kind of role when you've got when you have no idea really what the hell they're going on about? <laughs> oh, you, well, again, it's it's just line by line. It's like that line. Uruburus comes up and I'm like, what the hell's that? And then they, everyone's like, I think it's, uh, and you know, it's like there's like a general discussion, kind of like kind of pull it out of their butt as to what it is. And and then of course the pronunciation. I think I said Uruboros and Ouroboros. I think it's like my pronunciation changes throughout that game because we weren't all quite sure exactly which way to say it. So. <laughs> um, but there's no, again, it's it's you basically set the voice and then you just try to you know guide your way down the river through all the different pieces that you get. So, well, we're like in Mass Effect, you got scenes and they were almost in order of where the game progressed and you had the dialogue. So you knew what you were responding to, what the context was. So it was more cinematic in that experience of recording it. Um, and the Resident Evil, again, it was just a little more challenging in that in that regard. But but Liam is an awesome director and um, and always looks out for his voice actors. So he he, he helped uh, guide guide us through that beautifully. Did you ever get the freedom to make small improvisations or small suggestions for changes if the lines didn't quite sound right? Because a lot of it's translated Japanese, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, um, Liam usually it usually would happen before it came across. Yeah. So every time we had to gear up, this was back in you know what 2009 or eight when they were recording. You know the the the, the technology is very different now. Like I do, this NBA 2K14 that I just did. You know, I'm wandering around, picking my nose. You know, I could do anything, and they were capturing all of the the nuances and facial stuff too. You know, they capture all the facial stuff simultaneously. So, um, where this was, they you know, it was Ken Lally's body, but then they had me with all these little dots, these metal things on my face. They had all these lasers pointing at my face and all these cameras. I wasn't allowed to raise my hands during it because I I couldn't break the the beams, and so it was a very difficult. Uh, and then, of course, it's a whole machinery that they have to start up when you begin recording. So there wasn't a lot of, you know, messing around. It was, you know, uh, here's a script. Let's take it. And plus, it was so much to do. So there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a lot of playing around. Like, in fact, you, my favorite line, at, I think at the end of one of the sessions is uh, Liam says, OK, and then, you know, you will give me an egg. And that was one of the lines. I'm like, what's that about? He's like, just do it. And I'm like, OK. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, a uh, uh, question here. What was it like to uh, to work with Capcom on uh, on Resident Evil Five and you know Umbrella Chronicles, of course, as well? Mm-hmm. How do you mean? I mean, indifferent than what I've just described. Uh, you mean the the actual company? Yeah, yeah, your sort of relationship towards them and uh, you know, the, you don't how... you don't really Capcom is like a layer away. It's uh, uh, you're dealing with the direct production company that's been contracted by them to to put it together. At least that portion of what you're working on. So for the voiceover oh, okay. part, it was. Um, I think it was Just Blessed Productions, just just blessed, just blessed, um, like Jester. Um, so it was those were the people I was working with, as well as the people at the studio, which was I can't remember the studio now. It's so long ago. It was up in the valley. I got a park. I got a speeding ticket going to one of the sessions. Um, <laughs> screwed, screwed by the laser. Um, that's yeah, exactly. I was going to a laser. We were going through show. I had so many lasers pointed at me, but one of them cost me two hundred and fifty dollars. So. Wow. Um, yeah, so I never got to work with. I, I don't think I've ever spoken to anybody from from Capcom. So um, wow. if I have, it's I, like I, a I was buffer zone, isn't it? Really? What's that? It's like a sort of like a, a buffer zone, isn't it, between yourself and, of course, the people who are you know in charge of of the well, series. Yeah. Odds are there probably were Capcom people there, but they were uh, from uh, Japan. So I didn't, you know, I couldn't, you know, I don't speak Japanese, and I, I think that. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, I know that a lot of them are uh, bilingual, but um, if they were, oh, you know what? I might have met Capcom people when they did uh, an interview thing. This is funny. If you ever look at the EPKs that they did for that game, you notice that I'm not in them. I think there's a flash of me getting my my things put on, but there's no interview with me where there are with the other actors. And um, either they really don't like me, or it, I think this is what happened is they because I sat down to do the interview, and all I wanted to talk about was how. I was uh, sorry to the fan base that I was replacing Richard Wan, and I think that he's a wonderful actor. I went on like like that, and I think that the interviewer was kind of like, "This isn't going to work for what we need." <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of interesting that you mentioned how uh, you know, the, the fan, the initial fan backlash, because if it can draw uh, towards uh, an analogy here, it's kind of like um, Doctor Who, really, when they bring in a new actor to play the right. you know, the next doctor and everyone is like oh I'll bring the old person back I miss uh, you know I miss Richard War and stuff and, and who's this and new guy the they're in love with the new one yeah yeah well, absolutely it's borderline, it's borderline personality when you get a group of that many people together it's always borderline personality so you look at politics you look at any kind of uh, a movement and and that's that's the case there's always going to be once once you have developed an affinity for one you're going to you're going to hate change so but then, once the change happens, it is your new reality, and so, yeah. Unless, of course, you do something to really screw it up. <laughs> okay, um, we don't want to hold you up too much longer, DC. You've been uh, very generous with your time. Uh, I think the only final question is a bit of a silly question, really. But, um, obviously, you've worked on lots of big games like Mass Effect, Resident Evil, Tekken. Um, have you seen any difference in the fans in terms of you know, their uh, obsession towards the series that you've worked on? Oh, well, I mean, the Resident Evil fan base eclipses all others. Does it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even even the, the Mass Effect. The Mass Effect, there were a lot of fans initially when the games were out. Um, but I would say now the one the, the fans that are still like in touch or who would tweet at me or, or respond on Facebook and all of that, Resident Evil. I mean, I, when I go to a convention, uh, I'll take that back. You know, I'll take that back. When I go to a convention, depending on the makeup of the convention and the thrust of what that particular con is about, there may be a lot of Mass Effect fans. Uh, but I will say that, oh, how do I put this so that it doesn't sound, I love all of them, but um, Mass Effect fans are a little, uh, um, I'll put it to you this way. Oh, this is the best way to put it. Okay. A Mass Effect fan would be really sweet. They'll go get the signed picture. Um, and then if they want to get a like a picture with me, I'll get up and I'll put my arm around them and they'll take a picture. I'll do it with a Mass Effect fan, and they're really sweet. We give a hug, and they go, thanks. They go, thank you. And they go on their way, and I go on my way. Resident Evil fan goes, gets a picture with me. I put my arm around them, and they're vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> we take the picture, and then they turn red, and they kind of like like either stifle a scream where they're going to vomit, and then they have to run away, and their friend grabs them, and they're holding and all of that, and they go off. And then I'll see some sort of like posting about it on from my Google Alerts you know, a, a week later saying, oh, my God. And their description of it is like, you know, like when like uh, someone's diffusing a bomb, time stands still. And like they have all these details for the moment. All I remember was like getting up and taking another picture with somebody going and like giving them a squeeze going, it's OK because you're vibrating. And then they leave and that's it. But their experience of it is all it's like so there, there is a that's the difference of intensity. But they're all wonderful. So that must be that must be nice. Yeah, it's so funny because, you know, we're all just freaking people. We're all the same. We all eat, we all take craps and we all die. So it's, 
you know, any other importance you put on other people is, is your own doing. And uh, there's no uh, mystical, mythical thing about that person. It's just what we put on them, you know. And sure, there's talent, but, you know, there's there's so much talent out there that's not recognized. Just going to DeviantArt. Um, it's uh, so I'm just but I am grateful for it. I think it's neat. And it's it's always nice to connect to people. So. Well, I would like to personally say thank you very much on behalf of everyone here at Project Umbrella for taking your time to speak with us. It's Yay. been a, fasc fasc yeah. Fascin a fascinating interview. It really has. And a really good insight into how you uh, worked on the games. And did you want to just say um, anything you're working on at the moment that you want to tell anyone that's listening? Um, oh, geez. Oh, well, for... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some stuff, but I, apparently, like like the NBA 2K14, your fan base uh, doesn't really care. <laughs> but it's still fun if you play the game. Um, the uh, But the stuff is... Uh, I've got... A, well, yeah, I can't tell you that. I've got another game coming out. Again, it's a racing game, so I don't think your fan base would care about it. Um, but uh, but film-wise... Uh, Alpha House from Asylum, yes, Asylum. I love those guys; they're fun. So that's going to be coming out next year. I've got the I'm the main antagonist in that. Uh, the um, there's a film called Helen Alone coming out where I play a sadistic uh, cop, um, and hopefully that comes out next year. Uh, and then Apocalypse Kiss is the one that you should look for because that one was produced from these uh, uh, Carmela Hazlett and Christian Jude Grillo. Uh, from uh, Philadelphia are fans of Resident Evil and of Wesker, and they uh, offered me the main villain role in that film uh, because of that. And so I said, let's change the physicality of that character to look like Wesker. So I've dyed, the, dyed my hair and my eyebrows blonde, tanned up, bulked up, and uh, but the character is very different than Wesker, very different. And uh, did that film, and it's a sci it's kind of a sci-fi post-apocalyptic um, romp. Uh, and and uh, exploitative, all of that, but it's fun. And that uh, just got distribution, so it should be coming out uh, next year on like Netflix, Redbox, maybe Sci-Fi Channel. You never know where it's going to show up, so keep an eye out for that. I mean, and I'll be tweeting about it too, so you can always just go to my Twitter, Facebook, or uh, my, my main website. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Uh, this was fun. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped relying on imperfect human DNA and injected himself with Uruboros, he could kill like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on a volcano. With the man, your man could kill like. What's on your arm? Back at me. I have it. It's morphing precious metal from that favorite jewelry of yours. Look again. Your jewelry is now a giant avant-garde phallic symbol. Anything is possible when your man injects Uroboros instead of living on measly human DNA. I'm eating rockets. A huge, huge thanks goes to DC for taking time out to uh, to do the uh, interview with us. Um, a very, very generous and humble man, I think we can all agree. And it, it was very kind of him to answer some of our quite nerdish questions at the time. Um, and he, he doesn't have to do that, but we're, we're very grateful that he has. Um, it was a wonderful experience. And uh, apologies to Syndra, because I know she wanted to um, to be here with us to do the questions. But um, ho hopefully Mr. Spencer asked your questions in a coherent manner for you. He was, he was very, very, very generous with his replies and whatnot. 
he was he was and i, I think it's um I ho- hopefully um you guys will enjoy enjoy our interview um it's a nice little present and a, a wonderful way to finish our last podcast so there we go uh, moving on, we hand over to your friend and mine, Stars Tyrant, who's going to be talking about his retrospective playthrough that we uh, we touched upon earlier. This is something obviously he went through with Batman as well, but um, he wanted. I did some that. I, you I did, yes, that. yes, you I, did. You did. I stopped at. I got up to Dead Aim. You got up to Dead Aim. Uh, but yeah. Stars, you did um, a kind of like a timeline from uh, was it 2000 and. Yeah, I mean, we've got two things to talk about here. We've got the series playthrough that, that Bats and I did. Yep. Uh, where we played from chronologically the beginning of the series, which is obviously is zero and culminates in six. And we played everything from start to finish in as best a chronological order as we could we could muster. Obviously, it gets a bit murky when you start including the outbreak scenarios, but yes. you know we did actually play through them. And using forum threads, we did give like a, a diary of of each title. Uh, what we've also got for this podcast is we've got the last generation, uh, as in console generation timeline, which starts with E3 2005 and runs all the way to Resident Evil 6's release. Because it's a way of just looking back at how the series has evolved and changed, um, how sometimes the original concept trailers don't reflect the end product in any way. So, you know, and we'll just roll through that. And if anyone's got an opinion or something they want to say about that particular year or event, just jump in. Go for it. Lovely stuff. Okay, right. Well, obviously, first of all, we've got... We start this um, just before the release of the Xbox 360 in 2005, where we were given at E3 in 2005 the Resident Evil 5 first concept trailer. And if those of you can't remember it, it it's a, a short sort of CG thing Capcom made, which involves a Chris Redfield walking through a dark environment. Yes. And the crows that are above him leave, and he's drowned in sunlight, struggles to see we get a brief shot of some zombies and then he's charged at... Do we see that they're actually zombies? I think you see them in silhouette. And then, yeah, um, I was going to say, we just see their shadows, don't we? They're lumbering like normal zombies. And then, and then in the following yep. shot, in the following shot, they're running very uncontrollably, very similar to how the infected are depicted in 28 Days Later. Yeah, because um, I, I think, I don't know about you, but the, the first thing I got from that trailer was the um, the sense of speed. And, and being hunted down, which was kind of unusual for Resident Evil, very, very much, you know, prior to that, quite a slow pace. It seemed the natural step up from four, to be honest. And I quite liked the visual look of that trailer because this was at a time when, um, when five was originally announced, Capcom were talking about how the difference between light and dark was going to be a very key factor in the game. Like, you know, if you've been outside and you go into a building, there'll be a few seconds of disorientation and adjusting to the light. None of this made it to the to the final no, game. That's, no, no, because you're right. At the beginning of that trailer, it is very murky and 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 very dark, and it, you kind of almost get a feeling like he's in some you know particularly sort of alien country where you know th- things are very unstable and anything could not even necessarily the zombies. It, it just felt a very dangerous and and dark environment. And so yeah, it was such a shame that none of none of that that aspect of that part of the world and you know it stayed in africa so that shows that they, they it could have been done in in that style mm. well but, i mean it was it was somewhat similar to the final product i mean it's certainly the same kind of environment well, wasn't it it's like, the same sort they, of they, look they, they, yeah they didn't, they didn't though focus on that idea of going from dark to light and particularly that sort of dark and dingy uh, i don't know that that environment that you get typically at the beginning of that trailer I don't feel that they particularly focused on that or utilised that much in the main game. 
the pace of it seems of that trailer that concept trailer seemed very slow up until you actually encounter an enemy and then it seems so uncontrollable that you know you would be feel overwhelmed very yeah. quickly yeah um, whereas the final project which we'll get to as we go through the later trailers is is very much akin to how four turned out to be, to be honest the one that everyone forgets about is next january february 2006 resident evil deadly silence is released uh. I don't really have a lot of opinion on that, to be honest. I think, <laughs> think, think post remake, it made the original quite irrelevant. I remember, and, I remember when it came out, disappointed that the remake mode on it, rebirth, whatever you want to call it, didn't have the new map of the remake mansion, but in old style graphics. I thought, yeah. they, I, I thought it should have done that. <laughs> the the um, rebirth mode is. Is hit and miss really. It is, yeah. The touchscreen puzzles are fun enough, but the touchscreen battles, I just, oh, used, oh. I just used to question why am I fighting a snake with a, uh, a knife? Yeah. yeah. And pointless backtracking to the guardhouse. But we then jumped to E3 2006, that's the next time we had any real news, and an untitled Resident Evil game is announced for the Wii. Oh. Back then, this was. Everyone was. I remember there was all the all the IGN coverage and everything like that, speculating it was going to be a Chronicles-style game exploring the first four Resident Evil titles in an over-the-shoulder camera perspective. Yeah, I remember those rumours. And it was going to take a small chapter of each of the core games, one, two, three, and four, and be like a you know a sort of timeline look through the series. Obviously, ultimately, it becomes Umbrella Chronicles. Yes. So apart from having ignoring four. Resident Evil 4, I suppose that, that was true. In November 2006, Umbrella Chronicles was unveiled with the very first trailer showing light gun style gameplay in the mansion. And blasting through doors. And and it and I, I quite loved that trailer, actually. It was, it was different to see the Spencer Mansion in a first-person perspective, and I really loved it. April 2007, Umbrella Chronicles' second trailer unveiled Sergei for the first time. He's oh. a staff favourite. A staff favourite. <laughs> E3 2007, which was the first gameplay trailer, and um, nearly all of it never made it to final. It was the much larger public assembly. The final chainsaw guy that exists in the final product was the executioner in this build, wielding the big axe. Um, A sequence of Chris was shown being very badly beaten. At one point, he's knocked off the bus in the public assembly. And um, the shot of what we now know as Jill was never used in the final game at the end of the trailer. This trailer was significant because, of obviously, it started the race for Al. Mm. That plagued this game quite a lot. I remember being really disappointed by this trailer because for the first time, you could actually see everything was recycled, all the animations, yes. and everything just looked like a Resident Evil 4 clone all over again. And this is where the controversy started as well, wasn't it? At yeah. The time, yeah. There was shitloads of Magini though, wasn't there? There was far more. There was, yeah. Than what is in the final game? It's if you've ever played Five on the PC, um, there's a like a version of the Mercenaries you can play. It puts uh, the amount of enemies equivalent to that trailer hmm. in there. May 2007, Resident Evil 4 Wii Edition is released. Oh. Went down quite well. I quite like the, the controls on that. Yeah, I did. It took a lot of getting used to at the beginning, uh, but once once you were there, it was nice to play GameCube-style graphics, if you like, but with the uh, PS2 add-ons. I always felt there was a bit of a quality difference between PS2 yeah. and GameCube, so it was nice to have that kind of oomph. It was um, definitely the definitive edition. Yes, absolutely. And arguably still is, because the sound quality isn't nerfed like it is in the HD version. Mm. 
but yeah, it made it a bit easier, I thought though. So that was the only thing because of the um, because you had the pretty much one to one aiming. It was a bit easier, but it did work. You know, things like you know the you know the knife was quite nice. You know, little whew, you know, slash and you know. mm. anyway, it went down very well. And, and, and you know, it arguably shifted a lot of ways. It was the only reason I bought one, for example. Yes, yeah, so, yeah I, I got it at the time. Uh, I waited till Umbrella Chronicles came out, but yeah, I remember you couldn't get a Wii at that point as well. It was you, you know you you had to be lucky to get one. Everyone is oh the minute HMV or whoever had it in stock off. Yeah, that just doesn't happen anymore. But there you okay. Continue. November two thousand and seven, Umbrella Chronicles is released. Yay. That went down quite well. We've had a podcast on it, everybody. <laughs> we did. E three two thousand and eight, Resident Evil Five second trailer. This was the first trailer of the revised, fi- you know, the the final game that we know now. It's the first to include more right racially diverse enemies. <laughs> It's also a milestone in the series that it introduced a co-op character. Mm. Ah, that's when Sheva was introduced. The trailer that basically answered the race route. That in the middle of Africa, you will find Asians. You will, of Asians. course. <laughs> Hispanics. <laughs> <clears throat> I think um, it was a bad decision, because I don't think it represents Africa as well as it should do, really. Which arguably makes it more racist. Yeah, 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 I think it does. I mean, I went, I actually went to Kenya a couple of years ago, and Kenya is arguably not the region the game's set in. The game's more sort of South Africa, but there are no Asians. There are no Caucasians. <laughs> you know, the, the Spanish didn't mind when you know Resident yeah. Evil Four was set in their exactly. country. From what I remember, though, there was wasn't there three different variations of that particular trailer? There was, was one trailer showed the Bird Woman. Yeah, extensively, which the speculation was rife at this point because everybody was thinking it was Sherry. Because it still wasn't giving away a lot about the plot, was it, at that point? No. Um, there was an El Gigante variant where it just emphasised the El Gigante. The other one was the truck in the quarry. Yeah. October 2008, Resident Evil Degeneration. Ah, 2008. Yeah. TGS 2008. Playing God trailer, Resident Evil 5. Oh, Christ. Oh, I love that trailer. That was, it is officially the greatest trailer of all time in any media. <laughs> I remember actually it is. When, I, when I heard about it. And um, I, I, did, I, I had not seen it at that point. And I said to Nick, for a joke, you know, just to screw with him, I was like, oh, Spencer's in it and everything. It's really cool. And, you know, he looks like Major Zero and MGS4. And, you know, as a joke, I said, I had not seen the trailer. And then I actually saw the trailer. I was like, oh, shit, he is in it. <laughs> you know, he's actually in it. It's an important is... trailer, this one. Oh, yeah. DC Douglas's debut as, you know, the newer Wesker. That we all, you know, not his Umbrella Chronicles performance. This was the one that we all love him for. Unfortunately, it's, it's, it's debatable and it's arguable. The trailer actually gives a better game than the actual game did. I remember playing the game thinking, I want to get to all these great bits in the trailer. And they don't occur until the last four chapters of the game. So it, it's one of those classic trailers in that it sort of spoiled all the best bits before we actually got to them. How did you feel, though, when you saw... Spencer in the trailer. Was I, I was wonder. I remember thinking, how are they going to tie him in? Yeah. I do think he got a bit of a rough deal though, Spencer. I mean, they could have made it out a bit more. To be honest, he'd been so irrelevant to the series by the point five was released that I think yeah. they were just thinking one last hurrah for him, basically. And all they did really, they just turned him into uh, completely oblivious to any to, to to any annoyance that Wesker might have in finding out what is. 
you know, true existence was. And um, and then just to have that death. I mean, why do they eat? To me, I just thought, why do they even bother to bring him back? Just to, to, to make him look like a rather decrepit old man, completely oblivious to what's to what's going on around him. You know, just have this little cameo where he just comes across as an imbecile. <laughs> I, actually, no. Actually, no. Actually, what he does is he broke Wesker mentally. He knew he was a dead man. He knew he was going to die. He didn't really care at this point, but he knew that if he could break Wesker and tell him the truth about who he was, he could, in a sense, live on, you know, have his plans live on uh, via Wesker. It's a good so point, actually, is, is that meeting changes Wesker. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's when his subliminal programming was broken, wasn't it? Once he had the Wesker children thing explained to him, Spencer no longer had his psychological hold over him. Well, not just that either. Not just that, John. I mean, but rather... The fact that it changed Wesker from being this calculating, you know, I got all the cards kind of deal to someone who became very unstable. You know, he was no longer sure anymore. He was like, oh, okay, well, maybe Spencer had a point. And in a sense, Spencer won over Wesker because Wesker pretty much did what Spencer was going to do himself. So he kind of infiltrated his mind and his psyche and influenced his thought processes and made him want to do the plan that he was going to do. He, like I said, Spencer knew he was going to die. He brought Wesker in to say, right, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to fuck with your mind here. And you're basically going to end up doing what I want you to do, whether you want to or not. And that's what happened. He carried on, carried out Spencer's dream for him. Yeah. That was his legacy. That was the, that was the true dark legacy right there. March 11th, 2009, Capcom announced Darkseid Chronicles. Yeah, that was a bit of a bolt out of the blue, wasn't it? It was. I mean, I think everybody expected it because of the way 2 wasn't dealt with. Mm. Um, I don't know really why it wasn't in Umbrella Chronicles. Did they ever mention it? No. Why it, it took two games to essentially do one job. Unless they were just focusing on the, uh, the Chris and Jill angle. Yeah, maybe so. But then... You would think, why not include Code Veronica into it? Because Chris's involvement, and that's quite big. In mm. Code Veronica has a big impact on the Umbrella saga, really, with the return of Wesker. Yeah. March 13th, 2009, Resident Evil 5 is released. Hurrah! Yay. November 2009, Darkside Chronicles released. TGS 2009, Resident Evil 5 Gold Edition announced. It's director's cut all over again. What new scenarios will they add now? Good ones. And then on February 7th, 2010, we've already discussed this tonight, but there was a bit of DLC for Resident Evil 5 released. It's called Lost in Nightmares. And it was awesome. March 9th, Desperate Escape was released. Not bad. E3 2010, this will be an interesting one, a Revelations announcement trailer involving Hunk on the boat. Oh, yes. A Chris clone mm. who talks. Yes. None of it, of course, was shown in the final game. Now, I don't know about you guys, I'm quite pleased, <laughs> in, in all honesty. As much as Hunk would have been a nice appearance in, in Revelations, I didn't like the idea of a Chris clone at all. No. It was also the first time um, that Capcom made a shift with Jill as a character. It's the first time Julia Voth wasn't used as her face actress. Although in this trailer, Patricia Jarley was still playing her voice, mm. interestingly. August 2010, Mercs 3D was announced, and this was when I was really thinking the series is starting to head in a downward spiral, because now we're getting, like, non-storyline games released. September 2010, first Damnation trailer. Famous 
for the mystery person at the end shown only in silhouette. Mm. It's Ark Thompson. March 2011, Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City announced. Yay! Me and Nick Nick were talking about this earlier, and I think when it was in an announcement, before we knew the Slant 6 involvement and all that, the actual concept of going back to the city sounded okay, did it not? Yeah, and we we didn't necessarily object to the idea of it being a Soakham-style game, you know, we've we've endured Resident Evil going first person before, so it it wasn't totally intolerable. I think it's a great idea. I just wish they'd put more effort into it. Yeah. I seem to remember Mr. Spencer voicing real disapproval that it was it was a slant six because I didn't know anything about them, and I remember no. feeling really despondent when John told me all about them. <laughs> Basically, they made all the SOCOM games that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, yeah, that's basically what you told me at the time, yeah. Which is bad because the SOCOM games that were pretty good were made by a company called Zipper Interactive, and they are out of business now. They are no longer functioning as a company. But Slant 6 is still going, so (laughs) hooray! June 2011, Mercs 3D is released. What a whimper that was. Do, do any of you actually own it? When I see it for £2.50, I will purchase it. <laughs> I actually do own it. I've seen it for a tenner. It's not awful. Think. It's just Mercs on a 3DS, that's well, all. I bought it just to see what it would be like playing over-the-shoulder Resident Evil on a handheld. And, and what did you think? I thought it was alright, but like you say, it's, you play the games for the story, don't you? Or at least I do these days. It, it, it's a sad thing that the, you know, the biggest news story that's attached to Mercs 3D is the fact that you couldn't delete the save data yeah it had the uh, the revelations playable demo didn't it all two minutes i did it. yeah that is, that is significant for that if nothing else which yeah. is subtly different to the final product doesn't dc do a voice in mercs does, yeah, yeah quite a few actors reprise the role actually it's yeah. bizarre yeah two pound um, fifty i'll buy it two pound fifty no more you can have my copy nick september 20 20- <laughs> postage is 260 <laughs> September 2011 Resident Evil 4 Code Veronica X HD editions are released oh fucking bliss no, I mean I, I was never expecting that talking about things you weren't expecting Code Veronica X HD I think is a masterpiece apart from the cutscenes were, 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 were shocking but, but um, the new yeah. lighting and everything oh, like that it's just a joy yeah that was really good so I think think George said it in his series playthrough. If you go around um, areas like um, the private residence, and all the shadows are, are you know are, the lights creating shadows of all the dolls sat on the yeah. the walls and everything, it, yeah. the atmosphere is comparable to the remake at times. I think it, yeah, it's, it's it's masterful. A lot of people slated the HD Resident Evil Four, but I thought it was brilliant. I think it I looks think, r- really good. Yeah, I just. I detest the sound quality. Capcom need to learn that HD version means more than just upscaling the graphics. And they still didn't upscale separate ways. Is FMAs. Yeah. yeah, that was a bit of a boo-boo. In January 2012, we had an announcement trailer for Resident Evil 6. Oh, beginning of the end. Prior to this announcement trailer, we had Capcom telling us that the next game was going to be returning to the roots. Oh, was it? Was it? A yeah. Surprise, surprise. Cause, yeah, because I remember at the time why they announced it like a week before Resident Evil Revelations came out. We just completely yes, overshadowed right, yeah. that release, in my opinion. Yes, you're right, you're right. Yeah. I think 
I don't, I, mean, I don't know how you guys felt about the trailer. I mean, in the one sense, I was, I was really excited for a new title. But then when you actually saw the gameplay, I was just it's the same all over again except now it has zombies that leap towards me the, the only one that and you'll, you'll get to it in a minute the one that the the trailer that sticks out in my mind is the one with the cool music you know oh, you that co- was games con i think is that okay, I, so which i can't remember what was the announcement trailer what what did it show in that one announcement trailer showed leon shooting the president oh yes sure and then it showed chris in the helicopter just before he winches down onto the building it was all over YouTube. I remember on YouTube they had uh, always six trailers and footage just plastered all over the main page of YouTube. and It showed a lot of sliding and shooting. And... Oh, okay. I think that was the most interesting thing. It was the first time we had Chris and Leon in the same game. Mm. That's, that's that what I took from it. This trailer didn't show the confrontation, though. No, but just have them both in the same game. Because mm. they, they used this trailer to really build on the fact that um, and a lot of the... Uh, press releases were like you know two different styles of gameplay and they did um, show a blonde it was meant to be three different styles wasn't it leon's survival horror and chris's action and i think wasn't jake meant to be something in between the two yeah jake and sherry were shown but not named and the only thing capcom said at the time was that it's a new scenario we can't talk about yet yeah because we all thought he was alex wesker didn't we that was with ashley yeah with ashley yeah but from what I remember, that first trailer is just a series of set pieces and explosions. It didn't really give you any hints as to what the story would be or how the game would flow. It just looked like a, an Expendables film. Yeah. But but yes, you were right, John. A week later, Resident Evil Revelations is released. Yeah. Time's not been, a, not, not been kind to that game, I don't think. Each yeah. time I play it, I feel more unenthused about it, to be honest. Yeah. Well, it was on, it was on a portable console originally wasn't it so it's it, was on, it was the 3ds release we're talking here yeah it's gonna have but limitations in terms of like environments and level design no it was not no because that that still holds up when you play the hd version it, it it's just i find the story a bit oh. interesting me and you both sort of agreed didn't we that if you put the whole series together revelation sticks out like a like a sore thumb you know compared to any other it title just, yeah it just introduces all these factions and characters and that's why I hope this, if the if the sequel I hope is a, a proper sequel to that game and carries on those plot points. Otherwise, it's just it doesn't even fit at all. May 2012, Dragon's Dogma is released. No. It's not important, you might say, but except it was the first time a playable demo of Resident Evil 6 circulated. It was horrendous. Yeah. Because the camera was awful. This was before they tweaked the camera, and you had a really you literally couldn't see anything because the character filled up half the screen. Mm. But the graphics are quite pretty. This is this is um this is the, the next entry is one everybody will love. March 2012, Operation Raccoon City is released to critical acclaim, rave reviews, and sell out. Oh, hang on, no, it's just released. <laughs> it uh, sold over a million that, copies though. How long did it take everyone here on playing it for the first time before they realised what a fucking tragedy it was? I, I don't even I played think, it. I think we all knew before we played it, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've not even played it, to be honest. I've seen it in, like, bargain bins for, like, a five quid, but I just haven't bought it. <laughs> I don't know why it is. It's just, like, seems like five quid in the bargain bin. It's real dirt cheap, but even then, even then, at that price, I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> no. There, is, I th- there I th- is literally nothing redeemable about that game. I think uh, once you've played the first level... And you're thinking, okay, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. 
No. And then after, no, no. No, it's no. even during the first level when you get to Birkin and his lab's nothing like. Yeah, it. yeah, it's the Birkin <laughs> lab that just, oh, it, just, yeah. It was the fact that the boss battled with Birkin, you just kept getting hit and falling over because of graphical glitches and bugs. Um, if you fell over and it hit you in the wrong place, you couldn't get up again without it, without Birkin hitting you again over. Yeah, and over. I, got, I got stuck in a wall. Oh. I've got a confession to make. I actually quite enjoy Raccoon City. <laughs> I don't know why. It's Get I quite, out. I quite like just having a gunfight against the spec ops with zombies and hunters getting in your way and the odd tyrant. The problem with it, though, it's very, very, very repetitive. I can only ever yes. play one level before getting totally bored. I could never do a complete playthrough of that game. I remember there being one moment, and I think it's it's Mission 5 where you have to fight two trench-coated tyrants. Mm. And it was it was one moment I actually achieved what the series is about, and I'm dare I say it having fun in this battle, you know, dodging their charging attacks and final battle against the parasite tyrant was quite good. But this is the thing. I mean, without sounding like George, it was a bit of a missed opportunity in the sense that they did put some effort into it, such as the beta parasite, um, the nemesis beta, and you know they, they they clearly have some interest in the series themselves and some of the mythology didn't bother to really to follow it up it's... the thing that irritates me about games like that is someone has been paid good, you know more money than probably all of us put together to research the series and to draft up creatures and a storyline and it doesn't connect to canon at all mm. you know and, and that's what annoys me is that is that good money is is wasted and, it, and the simple mistakes made, like the, the backstory to the Nemesis, for example, is, is based more on the bloody movie version, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's just unacceptable. You know, there's there's plenty of people on our forums, even us ourselves, if we were approached, we'd probably do it for free. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, just to, just to have that credit, you know, and, uh, yeah, don't get me started. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, April 10, 2012, the second Resident Evil 6 trailer, which was the reveal, the official reveal of Jake Wesker. Mm. And I don't think a single Resident Evil fan liked that idea. Nope. This was when the uh, Carla Radame rumours started, wasn't it? They, to be fair, I haven't included them. They actually started back with the first trailer. Right. Back in January, there was someone on GameFAQs actually leaked an, uh, what they called an unofficial characters list from the game, and it actually like, listed a Jake Muller and a Carla Radame. Yeah. Everyone just assumed it was rubbish. But did it list it that she was a clone of Ada? Yeah, I think it did, yeah, because it, it, it had the voice actor attached to it as well, and Courtney Taylor was playing both. Yeah. Was this the Captivate trailer, that? This one. I think so. It's the one where you see Carla talking to Jake about yeah. how she he is the bloodline of yeah. Albert. See, it's I mean, interesting. In in hindsight, I I thought the Wesker angle worked okay. Cause I, I thought Jake Muller was quite a good character in the end. I, I I liked him, and it was just about believable that he was the son of Wesker, and it worked well enough within the storyline. They didn't pull off the Ada story bit. The funny thing is with this trailer was obviously the Carla Radame angle wasn't shouldn't have been known by this point. Um, but because everybody knew that Courtney Taylor was playing two different people, immediately, as soon as everyone saw this trailer, they analysed the fact that there was two Adas wearing different clothes. Yes. And as soon as that secret was broken, everybody was speculating, oh, there's definitely two Adas in the game. And I do always wonder how under the radar this trailer would have gone had we not known Courtney Taylor was playing two roles. Mm. 
you know, whether people would have been that sharp to notice Ada's in the trailer, but she's wearing different clothes in different scenes, and whether that would have been relevant. Well, I don't think Ada, you do actually see the real Ada in that trailer. I think you only see Carla Adame, but like you say, the cat was already out of the bag. That there was a clone running around. Because mm. I think we had a big, we had an argument at the time, didn't we? We were arguing over whether the real Ada Wong would do half the things she does yeah, in that did. trailer. Mm. Yes, yes. Because you were a big supporter that she wouldn't. But yeah, you're right. And, and right you were. Mm. No, but you are right though. If, if like you say, if that hadn't have been leaked, we'd have been very, very confused as to what was going on with her. June 2012, HD versions of the Chronicles games are released on the PS3. Marvellous ports they are as well, actually. Mm. If only the move controls were better. <laughs> September 2012, Damnation was released and did not include the secret character featured in its initial concept trailer. Damnation's a bit of um, a it? bit of a one, isn't it? Really? No. Oh yes, of course. It's chap on the on the um, on the pile of. Yeah, he's not not referenced in the final film at all. You could debate his buddy now, but you know he's introduced. That's a clearly an important character they were introducing then. Oh, can we speculate? It's Billy. It's Ark. It's Ark. Knew- <laughs> October 2012, Resident Evil 6 was released. And May 2013, Revelations HD was released. That concludes the last generation from Xbox 360 to where we are now with the PS4 and the Xbox One. And really, looking back on it now, is that not the darkest generation the Resident Evil series has been in? <laughs> it yeah. is, it is. Yeah. As much as I've enjoyed a lot of it. No, no, I'm just gonna, no, I'm just annoyed because I'm just going to say the, um, what was available to them, the power in the consoles available to them and maybe that's where they're in the problem lies when you've only got a playstation one console to work with you 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 know from that it's born a quite simplistic story where developers have to use their imagination because they can't just you know wow us with pretty graphics and maybe that's where the problem lies i don't know but i think you're right i think you're totally spot on there obviously just cashed in on the name haven't they i mean from what you've read out there the amount of spin-off games they've released and two CG films, and only two main numerical titles. Yeah, exactly. I think if you if you break down the generations of gaming and, and use the series as a template for that, you've got the PlayStation 1 Saturn generation, and that in, in itself just encompassed Resident Evil 1 to 3. It's a very strong trilogy of titles to look at. Mm. Then you've got um, the sort of Dreamcast, which was in that dreaded in-between, but it gave us Code Veronica, which was a, a wonderful continuation. I know people have issues with it. But then you go on to the PlayStation 3, the GameCube, and the Xbox, which is, is, is a good one for the Resident Evil fans, because it gave us the remake, and it gave us Zero, and it gave us the Outbreak games. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I've always felt like the remake and Zero and the Outbreak games have, were like one last hurrah mm. for the camera-based Yes. You know, the old style of gameplay before we get, at the end of that generation, we get Resident Evil 4. And that's like saying, wave goodbye to what you know, because we're going to go in a new direction now. Which then, what we've just discussed with the generation timeline, it all is. It's all over the shoulder camera. Every game we've discussed in the last half an hour is all over the shoulder. Sad. Because there is the market for the slower-paced game and it, you, don't have, you don't have to spend a fortune on it you could just you know the, the rise especially the playstation 3 of the, of, of the indie game isn't it you know it's, they're almost like the net euros games of playstation 1 are suddenly making a, a a comeback and people are able to make cheap games 
back in in the yesteryear and just release them on the PlayStation Network. They could do something so easy. Just do what we got with um, there's a little cameo appearance of this option with Lost in Nightmares. Have the ability to to play either option in first person because I don't think over the shoulder to me is very almost no difference really the, in the experience you get between that and first person. I mean, it's closer to for me personally. It's over the shoulders closer to first person than it is to to the third person static camera angles we've got but with lost in nightmares that first little section you could you could play it in either mode i think that'd be just have been an, an ideal thing to to in progressing the series forward so that both camps of people are, are happy to be honest the um the camera angles for lost in nightmares i found absolutely wonderful you know i never used the camera angles because I just couldn't use the camera angles in that control system. But it's the same control system outside the aiming. It's... I know, but the aiming was just... Oh. Have you ever tried to you shoot, the, shoot the medallions using oh, the you can't camera actually, angles? It's one you can't actually get. <laughs> that is the problem. Yeah, you can't, you can't get the medallions. So, so get the medallions on a separate playthrough and then do yeah. the camera angles for nostalgia. Because unless you play on harder difficulties, there's no actual enemies in that section. You have the camera angles. Well, yeah, true. Because you have to play over the shoulder for the last section anyway. As soon as you go underground, it's over the shoulder. It's only for the mansion segment. But like you said, if you, if you did have the option to go through the whole game like that, I don't think I could do it. The aiming would have to be more in line with what we'd mm. had before. But yeah, I mean, you know, you look back through the last generation, and you know, the diamond in the rough is is lost in nightmares. And the ironic thing about that is, it was the only game that harkened back to the old series of skulking around in the dark in a in a mansion. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's 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 it from me. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you, thank you, Stars Tyrant. Moving on now, we've had some questions come in from some of our Project Umbrella members, who they obviously are keen to hear our views. Crimson Elder, our resident Welsh commentator and uh, member, has asked us a few questions. First one, are there any unresolved plot points in the series that you want answered? Ada. Ada. (laughs) Ada. Ada. And then um, Ada, Ada, Ada. Wesker? Alex Wesker. Alex Wesker, yeah. Oh yeah, Alex Wesker, West, yeah. It's, but it's, then, it's, but then that's fine because in the next game it's going to be announced that Ada works for Alex Wesker and he's the head of the organisation. Oh wow! Genius. Rival company. Please explain. The family? No. No. Can we pretend the family never existed? I'm sure Capcom will. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they. Yeah, yeah, Do you legitimately believe they'll never be referenced again? Yes. Say it happened to Tricell. Tricell were bigged up in RE5 and they just went, you know, out the window. I don't think they will ever be referenced again. No. I don't think Capcom have got the balls to reference the family again. I don't think they've got the capability of being able to look at the entire series and then seemingly interject the family into all the scenarios that have happened and then cohesively work out a structured storyline to be told in Resident Evil 7. The writer from Resident Evil 5 could. He did it with he did it with the series once. He'll do it again. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, what about really obscure things? You know, um, any other plot points you'd you know just randomly like to see? Perhaps only in like a file. Just go. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. 
what happened to Rebecca. I'd like to see a resolution to, to Barry oh. and Rebecca. Barry and Rebecca are the, the character-wise, the big plot holes. Okay. Uh, another question from Crimson Elder. Do you think the success, and uh, the, the, is success, of the Anderson films have influenced Capcom's shift to action? And I know Newsbot will say, no, it was all planned along. You can't ignore it. You can't ignore the You fact. can't ignore it because the, it has had some influence visually, if nothing else. You know, in Umbrella Chronicles, Red Queen does not come out from nowhere. The Laser Corridor does not come out mm-hmm. from nowhere. Yeah. You know, these are, I mean, as much as they handle the Red Queen mm-hmm. much better than Anderson originally intended it, it's still an influence from the film, which I wish wasn't there. In, in all honesty, but I, we have to accept it. And, you know, even go back to Outbreak, one of Alyssa's costumes is uh, Mila Jokovic's dress from the first film. Yep. And the fact that in the North American version, they use the movie font. Font, yeah. They call it the Hive. The games have gone down the cloning route. More obviously than perhaps they were... I know they, there was an intention always, but they've gone quite obviously down a kind of cloning avenue. The worst thing the movies did was just bring the zealots that come onto the forums. To answer the original question, you've got to say yes, because I think the movies, like them or hate them, they have been very, very financially successful, and Capcom have obviously tried to grab onto that audience by making the games more action-oriented. Mm-hmm, which is a shame. Uh, a question from Yoke. What do you think the story is leading up to? What do you think the ending will be? Also, what would be the final straw to make you walk away from the series? Now... Uh, Sean, you've already said that if they decide to do a reboot and just call it Resident Evil and scrap everything that you've known about the series ever, that would do it for you. If they ever put Alice in the games, I will burn my entire collection. Yep, that's a that's a common and popular answer. But where do you think the story's going? <sighs> Round in circles. I think I think with um, reintroducing Ada to the series with Six again, I think the next game realistically has to finally give up who she is because they can't just keep introducing her as the mysterious woman who is seemingly in control of everything all the secrets and then just has her walking off into the darkness again they just can't keep doing it it was arguably too much for six to have her yet again do the same thing she did in four what possible outcome i mean i'm sure they'll think of something within the the setting of resident evil 7 or whatever they want to do it but is there an answer that conceivably could be made as to who she is that you'll be satisfied with now or does it need more backstory in Resident Evil 7 to make it more grand worthy if you like I don't know know if anyone else feels like this there's always been so many chops and changes and different insinuations and suggestions of who she could be and who she might be I and it's drawn on for so long and the last game that she was in RE6 for me personally no resemblance at all to the introduction of Ada in, in RE2 that I'm almost past caring. Mm. I mean, in the one sense, you know, she, she she is essentially the female equivalent of James Bond. She might just well be this sort of agent character that doesn't care about her ties to what, you know, she's just employed by her boss to do the job she needs to do, which in one sense is redeemable for six because Six is the only time she's ever been drawn out of the shadows unwillingly. Mm. Her hand is forced in that game because of the appearance of Carla. It's the only angle of the game it actually plays kind of interesting. Mm. Whatever the reveal of a character is going to be, it's obviously not going to be what the writer of Resident Evil 2 originally intended. No. What reveal? I I can't even think. I mean, 
Well, but you're right. You make a good point because the story, the story's going nowhere. So exactly, it's go- it's going to be almost like the Jill death and then back again kind of situation. Is mm. there's going to have to be something in the game to I make mean, you go? Mm. I honestly think the only way to fix it is they're going to have to cheat and do a Sir guy and just invent yes, a new character yes. and place him amongst key events in the series. Alex Wesker. Yeah, because I honestly don't think the series has got enough life left in it to build a new expansive storyline. Yeah, I, I think they they have to link her with Alex Wesker, and that would make sense. And then you kill two birds with one stone, don't you? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay, um, question also from Yoke. Do you think the C virus should be used again, or other viruses brought back? I think from a gameplay point of view, the C virus is masterful. Mm. The, the, you know, it's, its potential is limitless in terms of what it can offer you from a gameplay point of view. Yes changeable environment depending on shoot an enemy or you know and when once they become encased in their cocoons they can literally come out as anything um, yes yes i like that yeah but i don't know whether it will t- i don't know whether it really can turn up again can it with carla gone they kind of left it open-ended didn't they because they said uh, even though they created the c virus vaccine they said the virus will always adapt and grow stronger so it could potentially be used again i'd rather use the c virus again than invent another new one Mm, I didn't like the T-Abyss particularly. I don't think there's a need for the T-Abyss. I don't see why the T-Virus wouldn't have been sufficient. Because it couldn't have made the ooze. Well, they could, yeah, but That's they... the only reason. It is, isn't it? Yeah, well, never mind. Okay, uh, and the final question is, what are your opinions on the Ganado Mahini, and how could they be changed to make them as popular as normal zombies? I don't think you could, because the only reason zombies are popular is because they have, like... Where are we now? So 2013, they have 50 years of yeah. cultural reference yeah. behind them with, you know, the Night of the Living Dead. You know, if, if Romero had decided to use yeah. humanoid, ferocious, intense killers in that, then that would be the staple and zombies would be the niche. But Well, it's all about the uncanny valley and zombies happen to fall in right in the middle of the uncanny valley that freaks people out and therefore they're popular for that reason so yeah but the popularity has gone so far beyond that now they're a game mode in call of duty now yeah you know there's always a zombie game isn't there yeah Mm. the problem with ganados is they're just essentially humans aren't they they're not scary yeah i don't think even they're as effective as the infected in 28 days, weeks. You're right, because it gets to a point where, effectively, they're, they're no different to just, you know, Call of Duty Nazis or Call of Duty, you know, Desert Storm soldiers, you know, it's it's, it's no different. Well, if you watch Black Hawk Down, which obviously Resident Evil 5 is based heavily on, that scene where the helicopter goes down and there's two of them trying to defend the uh, the crash site from all the on-Russian yeah. militants. Just imagine them as uh, Ganado or Magini, and the guy in the helicopter is Chris. You know, it's quite effective. Mm. I mean, the Ganados evoke a different type of concern that they, you know, zombies are always there moaning relentless in, in many ways and completely brain dead, just want flesh. And that's what's the primordial scare factor about them. Whereas obviously with Leon, you know, exploring the town and whatnot, they, they do lead a normal life to an extent. They're just really messed up humans. And then they go into that kind of psychotic rage if someone invades their territory. So it's quite animalistic in that sense. And I think that's why they had to make something like the Jarvo a bit more scary. They had to put masks on them as well, didn't they, to make them, you know, to make them a bit different and uh, some more masks, and they had to be deformed in the face. Otherwise, they 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 didn't really act much different to someone on a Saturday night. Uh-huh. I don't think the the humanoid BOWs could ever quite come close to zombies. 
And I think that's why the C virus zombies work quite well, because they were just normal ones that could run a bit. I I don't know why they just don't do the infected from 28 Days Later ones, but I suppose you got that with um, Crimson Heads, and that's why they were so effective. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we've always said, how truly terrifying would it be if you got like a Resident Evil 4 or 5 game full... Imagine public assembly full of Crimson Heads. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that environment. Fuck that. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what made Crimson Head so good, because they still had the mindless uh, need for flesh, but they did it with claws, you know. <laughs> that just added a different level of intensity and speed. I would be running all the time if it was Crimson Heads. Yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. I always said I wish there was a mode on Remake where all the zombies were Crimson Heads from the start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. You know, that that yeah, would be incredible. <laughs> Jesus. You wouldn't be able to finish it. It'd be that difficult. <laughs> well, and imagine that on invisible enemy mode too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you very much, guys, for your questions. That's. Um, I hope they've we've answered them to your satisfaction. We are now coming towards the end of our uh, final podcast. We've got a few couple of treats left for you. Before we go on to the quiz, we're going to start with a nice little feature that I'm calling the Project Umbrella Podcast Awards. Is this sort of like the BAFTAs then? No, this is like top, the Top Gear Awards that they usually do. This is a, a nice awards ceremony to reflect on some of the many awards and achievements that have been attained throughout the course of the year. So the first award, this requires a lot of audience participation and comments. It's the Derek Simmons Award for the most blatant moment of the year. And the nominations are... Biohazard Revelations HD was not done to a suitable standard. Right? Yeah, my partner from before. What about it? I was, you know, just asking. There's blood coming from the ducks. <laughs> Capcom revealing that the next Biohazard game will return to its roots. Though both you and Barry seem to think I was following orders from Umbrella. So you're planning something else? If you succeeded in developing the world's most powerful biological weapon, what would you do? What if you were in charge? And Biohazard Mahara Desire made little to no sense. There are the nominations, a great selection. And the winner is... It's none of them, it's our live podcast. It was just a joke. Deal with it. It was obviously a joke. It does, it goes, it goes to us, episode 21 of the Project Umbrella podcast, our live podcast, because it was obviously a joke. And I don't quite understand how people still questioned it. <laughs> you got me. Oh my god. I don't know how long I've got. Well, don't touch me, are you? The next award is for the You Are Dead Award for the most convincing death scene in our live podcast. The nominations are George Trevor. <laughs> Batman! 
Neptune. Are you alright? I'm done. Uh, Stars Tyrant, you have the casting vote, and Mr. Spencer, maybe. Who do you think had the most convincing death scene? I think that's what gives you the edge, is the fact that you are screaming, William, <laughs> William, <laughs> William, <laughs> as you die, whereas Nick gets this heroic Star Wars speech. I do. And Bats, Bats just gets absolutely annihilated by about three of them, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> oh, the live-action podcast. Yeah, Sorry, I've had, a, I've had a half bottle of wine. Pro- so George then. probably has to take it just because the cries of William come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to confuse the zombie that's eating. <laughs> <laughs> and there is genuine horror in his eyes as he's being pulled to the ground. It was. His arm reaching out. I don't know. I think an honourable mention has to go to Nick here because of his obviously his dying words when it's like, there is another. <laughs> you know, like a recovery kind of deal going on there. <laughs> You're cool. So my vote goes to Nick, I'm afraid. Okay, me, me, that means me and you, George, we, sh- we, share the, we share the award. The next award, it's the Ark Thompson Award for the best impersonation during the Survivor podcast. And the no- <laughs> <laughs> I know who should win this. <laughs> the no- oh, no, 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 if, if it was going to Vincent's mother, then. <laughs> the nominations are <laughs> Star's Tyrant. I was sent here by my good friend Leon S. Kennedy. Die, Vincent. Die. And it's goodbye from me, Ark. Mr. Spencer. Vincent, it's your mother. It's goodbye from me, too. Stop doing those terrible podcasts that just come home. George Trevor. Vincent, this is your mother. We're all very good, um, but... I think Sean had Ark's voice perfected. You could tell he's wasted hours of his life <laughs> perfecting that. Well done, well done, Stars Tyrant. Moving on to the next award, it's the Project Umbrella Biohazard Game of the Year. Only one with it this year is Revelations HD because it's the only game that came out. So there we go. Congratulations to Revelations HD. Moving on to the next award, it's the Try Cell Phone In Award for the best call into the podcast. The nominations are Dark Moon. Hello, boys and girls. This is Dark Moon, also known as John. J O N. No H. There is no H in John. You are silly people to use it. Veto. Oh, goddammit, I can't even complete this sentence. Shit, the camera is fucking awful. Well, the winner's Veto, because he's awesome. So, congratulations, Veto, there for your. Why Let's... does he win? Because he gave us all the you know, bollock to the wall, nails, difficult yeah. questions. Yes, yes, a round of applause. Thank you. Well done, please. That finishes our award ceremony. Wonderful. Well done to all the winners. Aren't they happy? Aren't they glorious? That finishes our amazing Project Umbrella Award ceremonies. Without further ado, it's time for Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz. Their minds will be tested. 
I, I have an answer, but it's based on a thread that Welsh made. Experiments will be undertaken. I've been told by the boss that you have to be deducted a point. Fuck off. Great knowledge is needed. <laughs> I got a massive knot out of five last time. And a new power will arise. What the fuck? Any questions? You said these questions weren't hard. I don't know. 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 I don't Star's Tyrant. It's time for Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz! Mr. Spencer. Welcome, welcome friends to the final Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz, where we will be crowning the champion of Biohazard. As this is the last episode, we will be having two rounds. Ooh. Oh, yes. Fucking hell. But before that, before we recap on all the scores, more importantly, I told Stars Tyrant earlier, I have received an email from the founder. A mile of the evening. Brought to you. By Ginster's Pasties. It came in this, uh, this evening, so let me just open it. I need to read it. It concerns the quiz. The founder is not happy. Neptune, it has come to my attention that the previous winner of the quiz, George Trevor, instead oh, of accepting... Uh, he wrote it. Instead of accepting the winner's <laughs> gift of a biohazard-themed sweatband, decided to sell it on his own Resident Evil website. The founder <laughs> does not tolerate this level of insubordination, ungratefulness, or profiteering in the name of Project Umbrella. The podcast is a vital cog of the Project Umbrella machine and forms a fundamental contribution to the website. Mismanagement of prizes in this manner is in direct breach of the Project Umbrella founding principles. As a result of this, Series 1 of Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz is now void. (laughs) Instead, the scores from Series 1 are to be added to the current scores of the podcasters to determine the true winner and champion of Biohazard. In my defence, the only reason this information came to light is I offered it up. Now, a recap on the scores prior to that was that Batman was on 31, George Trevor was on 23, Stars Tyrant was on 21, Mr Spencer was on 19. But if we add all the scores from the Series 1, Batman, you are currently in the lead with 72 points. George Trevor, you are second with 65 points. Stars Tyrant, you are third with 62 points. Mr. Spencer, you are fourth with 60 points. If you can cast your minds back to the previous quiz, I said we aren't doing Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz this week. We are doing Neptune and Newsies Biohazard Quiz Quiz! So this isn't a quiz about biohazard in the slightest. This oh, is... you're going to do a general knowledge round? It's not a general knowledge round, my friend. This is Fucking... a quiz about the quiz. 
So if everyone can clear their desktops, you can open up Notepad, Let's Play, Neptune and Newsies, Biohazard Quiz Quiz! I expect five out of fives. But how well do you know what you have been speaking about for the last two years? How long it's been? Two years. Two years. Right, question one. Each podcaster, including Newsbot, have all had the honour of stating previously on the Project Umbrella podcast an equal amount of times. How many times is that? It's a maths question, really. Even, even me, together? even though I've only been with you a year. Even you. Ah, you didn't say I couldn't use calculator. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. You're not in some of them, Spencer, and I am. So, But he said can't... equal amounts, didn't he? Everyone's had the same amount of coverage at the beginning of the podcast. Right, I've got oh, that. Yeah, yeah. So oh, it, yeah. is a math que- yeah. it is a math question. Yeah. Question number two. In total, how many questions has there been in the Project Umbrella podcast quiz, including the five from today? So I suddenly feel like I've gone back to school. <laughs> It is, it is. It's all maths, you all bastard. Maths. Right, question... Yeah, yeah. The closest person will get the point. Question number three. That's the best one you have ever done was a quote from Batman to Neptune about what? Oh, oh sorry. Okay, you made it sound like it was quite an intimate. The thing I got is, my I can answer. hear that in my head. I can actually hear it in my head, <laughs> is, and I don't is, know what it's for. Is your, is, your, is your answer sexually explicit, John? That's... <laughs> <laughs> I cannot answer that. I'm answering that. You'll have to find out. Question number four. What episode number did that come from? Question number five. I expect Mr. Spencer to do well here. Name any component of a Project Umbrella inspired Biohazard. What? Oh. This is the Marks and Spencer reference, isn't it? (laughs) This isn't just any ordinary Biohazard. It's the Marks and Spencer parody. But I don't know any of the things that define it. I don't know that at it. all, actually. You've got no to remember idea. what you that's... said. I mean, that, that's all five questions. There is a kind of bonus question. The one question that's been haunting us ever since the beginning of the podcast. Ever... So does this add to question two? How many questions, including this one? Oh, no, not this one. No, ignore this one. This, ign- no. it's, just, it's, a, it's a joke bonus question. But this is the question that's been haunting us for well over a season now on the Project Umbrella podcast. What sandwich did George Trevor eat in 1985? <laughs> <laughs> no, of course we don't know the answer to that, but George, feel free to inc- insert any answer there. But there we go. So, that concludes... Do you want my answer now? Well, yeah, what, is your, what sandwich were you eating in 1985? Um, it's the question we've all been dying to know the answer to. Well, obviously it was a Jill sandwich. <laughs> there we go. Ba-dum-pum. I was going to say Branston Pickle. <laughs> <laughs> Right, that concludes our round one at least, so join us after this when we'll run through the answers. Okay, before we go back to the answers, it gives our podcasters a bit more time to have a think and get their calculators out. We will hand over to the Batman, who I am reliably told has prepared five questions, or at least five questions, for me to test out my biohazard knowledge. Over to you, Batman. <laughs> Nicholas, you have persecuted us for the last two years with five questions at the end of every episode. A majority of them have been questionable. <laughs> um, so That's now it's your turn. Right, now can I open up Notepad? Uh, you can open up Notepad. Yes. Not, not Google Images. Right. Not, pro- not Project Umbrella or anything else. No, no, play this above board. Now, I'm being fair here, Nick. I, um, I'm not relying on translations, Japanese materials or any supplemental materials all you have to do is play the games and you will know the answers okay okay so that... any any normal biohazard fan should know all these same format as a normal quiz ask the questions and i'll get yep. Yep. 
five questions. You have to get at least two. Ooh. Otherwise, you suffer permanent exile. <laughs> okay, fine. Go. And if, you, if you get all five, all yeah. is forgiven. Okay. And the rest of you can join in for fun. Ah. Question number one. My name is Edward Ashford. I am one of the co-founders of Umbrella and discoverer of the original progenitor virus. I also led the glorious Ashford family through their golden age. But who was my father? Oh. I've got I know, I know, well, I've got names. I've got names, obviously. Question number two. Like Ashford, right, yeah. What is the name of the nightclub on Sheena Island? Oh, God, I don't know Sad. any of these. Nightclub. Is that the clubhouse? Is that what it's called? Is it called clubhouse stage? No, I'll see you nice. in Gibraltar, Nick. The nightclub. Question number three. In Biohazard, what is the name of the researcher based in the guardhouse who makes frequent reports on the strange plant growing at point 42? God, I don't know any of these. <laughs> I don't know that one. I know that one. Question number four. In Biohazard 3, what... It's an easy one, this one. What two key items do you need to recover from the police station? Question number five. This is one Sean gave me, so he's exempt from this one. <laughs> In Code Veronica, what is the code you have to input into the computer in the palace? Now, the clue is the code can be found on the back of an employee ID card in a nearby room. Oh, fuck that. <laughs> I thought it was a bit Vito-esque, this question. The thing is, I know this question, and I've been give... waiting for it to appear on the quiz for ye- all year. <laughs> and it never did. Questions I, I memorised. I'll leave that one with you, but for a bonus point, I'll, I'll make it slightly easier. What's the password that you have to put into Alfred Ashford's computer to unlock the passage to the private residence? Okay, let's let's answer. Any of these? This is shocking, <laughs> shocking knowledge. Question number thinking. one: Who is Edward Ashford's father? Someone give me a guess. I I, I mean I've got names. It's either Stanley. I've gone for Thomas. Gone for Thomas. I'm go for Stanley. Stanley, anyone else? George? Couldn't remember either of them. Oh, I've no idea. The answer is Arthur Ashford. Ah, I nearly said Arthur. I nearly fucking said Arthur. Oh. Oh. I should have said it. That's the only one I was going to go on my gut. Oh. Next time I'm going on my gut. I don't care. I knew it and I didn't Qu- say it. Question number two. I don't know anymore. What is the name of the nightclub on Sheena Island? I, I was going to say, um, I said I'm reacting on my gut. The first thing that came into my mind was Heaven's Night, but I know that's Silent Hill. Heaven. So I don't know. Isn't that the... That's, no. Uh, oh, I... Yeah, it's not looking good, is it, Nick? No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Hilltop. Anyone else want to guess? I don't know. Hilltop Club. Mike. No clue. Mike's. No. Anyone else want to guess? I'm going to kick myself very hard. Go on, Bats. The answer, Sean, you had it correct. The answer is Heaven's Night. Is it? Yeah. Is that another Silent Hill nightclub? That is the nightclub uh, on Sheena Island. But I'm sure that isn't isn't the Silent Hill forum on the Horror is Alive. It is. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah. I've no idea what it's called in Heaven yeah, in the Sheena Silent Island. Silent Hill forum is called Heaven's Night. I thought it was the. He- yeah, it is in it's uh, yeah looks up here. It's a strip club, but um, it's still in there. I know, but it's also in. Uh, Sheena Island. Oh, they were. That's. that's oh, cool. Yes. Yeah, Nick. Where were you? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. 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 Yeah. Um. Question number three. In Biohazard, what is the name of the researcher based in the guardhouse who makes frequent reports about Plant Forty Two? Um, George, any ideas? Is no. I do know the answer. One hundred percent. Nick, Nick what is your answer? I don't know. 
Um, is it Charles? Someone? No. Nope. Do you want me to say it? Uh, I'll, uh, well, I haven't given our answers yet. We're getting points for this or not? No, well, <laughs> in our mini one, maybe. <laughs> it begins with H. It's it's, a, it's either Harry or Henry, and I can't remember which. I know it begins Come with on. H. Uh, it's something Sarton, I think. It's... Henry Sarton! Oh, you've just given it him. <laughs> oh, you yeah, can't, that's you what can't, I had. You can't have that, Nick. No. You have no idea. No. Uh, no, is it's it Henry? Good. The answer is Henry Sarton. Well, <sighs> well I, I'm, I tell you what, I, I, a lot of prodding from Sean, but the name rings a bell. That's encouraging. <laughs> okay. In Biohazard 3, what two key items do you need to recover from the police station? Now, I think it depends what you define as key items, because I've as got... Items you need to carry on progressing through the game. Well, I've gone for the ID card uh-huh. um, that you can pick up if you defeat the nemesis, because you can go pick up from Brad's body. Yep. And I think you can pick up a gem to put in the... No, cause... <coughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, because that's the... Um... Mm. Does the key key cards one? So you're saying a key card, and what else? Yes, key. I'm saying key card, but um, if we could get that outside the RPD, well, yeah, we need... yeah, it's an emblem. It's got to be an emblem key of some description to get so, out. So come on, you've got key card and emblem key. Are those your answers? Yes. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. What? Well, the key card's right. No. Why not? You can get it outside the RPD. So, you get it inside the RPD as well. You don't recover what? the key card from the police station to move through the game, do you? The answers it are... only allows you to speed through the uh, police station quicker, doesn't it? The answers are Jill's lockpick. Yeah, I said lockpick, yeah. And the blue jewel from the evidence room to unlock well, the gate. I said gem. City Hall. So I said gem. You changed your mind? Oh, behave. Behave. I said gem. Oh, fuck no, off. No, no, These are of... the rules you implore on <laughs> The us. amount of answers you've took off me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I dispute keycard not being one. I don't understand what you mean by key item, then. Well, the keycard isn't essential. The keycard's just to unlock the door, isn't it? Well, you, you actually can't physically move out the police station without the blue jewel and the lockpick. But by default, you can't move out of a particular room unless you've got the keycard. Fucking right. hell. All right, then. <laughs> give, give you half a point. Yes! Go on, have a go at the first one, Sean's question. What is the code on the back of the employee ID card that you need to implement the computer? Uh, 4962. No. No. I don't, I don't know. The, the only code I can remember from Code Veronica is the fact that you type in Veronica. Oh, at the end. I know. I, I know this. Well, no, only a little bit. It's just similar to the American thing. We've got power and they've got NTSC, haven't they? I'm sure it's something similar to NTSC and then a number. Yeah. NTSC 347. Mm, close. Oh, I remember yeah. it had something similar to do with the American format for games. It's very close. What is it, Sean? It's NTC 0394. Oh, bloody hell. I remember, I've memorised that ever since the day the game came out. <laughs> I have, and, I'll, and, I've, and it's one of those things that's always stayed with me in 13 years. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to not gonna matter to anyone listening to this podcast, but I have a login at work for basic things, and it, it, I use this login. <laughs> um, you, know what's, you know what's bad for me, actually? You no, say no one's going to be able to access you say, access but, I... but, uh, you say that, but the password that I use for most, th- most things is, you know the, the movie Blade Runner, when she's looking at the, well, where Rick Decker takes the, um, is that the snake scale? To this, uh, to this. Um, yeah, there is a number on the snake scale. And there's scale. a serial number on the snake scale. That's my password. Cheers, cheers, John. 
Nick, you got you got half a point out of five. Yeah, I'm disappointed so, I didn't get the Ashford one. You're clearly not a Resident Evil fan. No, absolutely not. But we knew that already. We didn't need a quiz to prove that. <laughs> very true. Very true. Thanks for that, John. That was that was enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> so let's return back to the proper quiz. Let's see how everyone's done on Neptune and Newsy's Biohazard Quiz. Quiz. So question one was each podcaster, including Newsbot, had the honour of stating previously on the Project Umbrella podcast an equal number of times. How many times was that? Batman, what's your math skills like? Four. Four. George Trevor. Yeah, four. Stars. Well, the way I worked out was there's five of us tonight. Include Paul into that, that makes six. Six into 24 is six. No, it's not. Four. <laughs> it's four, isn't it? Yeah, I've got four. Four, four. four. Mr. Spencer? I have four here as well, yes. Yes, very good. Congratulations. I've been keeping a note, but there we go. Yes, it was four. Everyone has said it four times. Interestingly, side point, I did the first one, I'd done the last one. There we go. Right, question number two. In total, how many questions have there been in the Project Umbrella? podcast quiz including the five from today so this is quite difficult because of course there hasn't been five questions in every quiz there's been the odd bonus question here and there and uh there was seven i think at least in the series one finale so with that in mind mr spencer what was your number 120 120 stars tyrant what was your answer 129 george trevor uh, 125. 125. And Batman? 121. Wow! No one was right, but bloody hell, you were very close, very well worked out. The answer was 122. So the points go to Batman for being one off. Oh, it's two off. You were two off. Fucking hell. Well done, Batman. Very good. You fucking. He threw me off by saying there's been more questions in each quiz. Well, if you work out 5 by 24, it brings you with 120. So it's not that fucking many out, is it? <laughs> fucking Nick, he threw I think me I... off there. <laughs> he knows it... what he's doing every time. I added it up. Added... Anyway, you got the point. Question three, that's the best one you've ever done, was a quote from Batman to Neptune about what? I know this. Okay. George Trevor, what did you put? Well, after my, I, I got rid of all the stupid little sexual innuendos in my head, um, <laughs> um, you, you asked a question. Right. Um, it was a question you asked on the quiz, but I can't think which one it was. Okay, I just realised. But it was, it was, it was, there was much surprise because, you know, obviously it was a really good question. Okay. Right. So it had something to do with Resident but... Evil, and it wasn't about the films or the mobile games. You said you got rid of all the sexual innuendos. I, I must apologise because literally my answer was a blowjob. So. Um... <laughs> I've I, I, I got no answer, really. Effective. Oh, right. Right. Is, that, is that your answer? Have you got an answer then, Mr. Spencer? Yeah, a blowjob. Why do you think John has the highest score in the quiz? Think okay. about it. Makes oh, yeah. sense. Wait, Star- hang on a second. How would that work then? Okay, no, Star's <laughs> Did you know this one? Honestly, I had no idea. No. Batman, did you know? Told a lie about your Resident Evil knowledge. <laughs> Told a lie, isn't it? No, I'm so disappointed. No, that none of you were right. It was a quote from Batman to me about the previously on about Finn always being that awesome. If you remember, Uh... yes, yes, and and yes, Finn, I'm always that awesome. You said that's the best one you've ever done. (laughs) No points there for anyone. But what question number four, episode number, did that come from? Batman. Um, so that must be Resident Evil Six. So I'm gonna say twelve. Okay, uh, George Trevor? 
I'll say 12 as well. <laughs> Starts Tyron. My random guess was 16. 16. Uh, Mr. Spencer? A random guess here, uh, 20. So the correct answer was episode 13. No one got the point. What a shame. Let's move on. Right. Episode 13, yes. Neatly swept under the rug. Neatly, neatly swept under the rug. And finally, question number five was name any component of a Project Umbrella-inspired biohazard. There's lots of options here, so can anyone remember any? Batman, can you remember any components of a Project Umbrella-inspired biohazard? Um, no. I can't even remember the advert. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, I have literally no idea. I'm very sorry. George Trevor, can you remember? God, um... Oh, no... Mr. Spencer did it, didn't he? It was that memorable. <laughs> it was it was hilarious. It was hilarious. It was very good, actually. Don't know. No. Okay. Uh, Star Tyrant. Absolutely no idea. No, uh, Mr. Spencer, you did it. You, you recorded it. I don't remember. In my booze-addled brain, I just don't remember. That's what watching too much porn does for you. It affects your memory. No. Okay. Well, let's take a listen to that and let's have look, reveal the answer. Decaying flesh rotting on a reanimated corpse. Triggering react. Amphibian DNA injected into human embryos, resulting in hybrid hunters. Dehydrated humans undergoing violent mutations, rejecting eyesight and mutating an elongated tongue. Naked biological abominations, marching relentlessly with unnatural discipline and claws. This is not just a biohazard. This is a Project Umbrella-inspired biohazard. So yes, it was. There we go. It was, of course, decaying flesh, rotting, causing V-act, amphibian DNA into the embryos. You could have had that. Dehydrated humans undergoing violent mutations, naked abominations marching relentlessly with undisciplined and claws. Any of them would have got you the point, but alas. No, no. So there we go. So that concludes the quiz. So let's see how everyone has done. Batman's won this quiz again, but very, very low scoring, which is unsurprising. I actually thought you'd all get five out of five, but you know, well, who, what am I to say when a quiz? I didn't have anything wrong, did I? No, that's fine. Uh, Batman, you've got two, and everyone else got one. So the final scores means Batman, you finish on 74 points. George Trevor came second with 66 points. Uh, in third place was Stars Tyrant with 63 points. So not too far. Uh, Mr. Spencer was fourth place with 61 points. So not too bad. But of course, as I said earlier, that's not the end of the quiz. Oh no. Let's move on to round two. Absolutely. Welcome to round two, which I'm tentatively calling Pointless Biohazard. 
A round that will reward the most obscure answers. The rules are very simple. Listen up. If you are aware of the game of Pointless. No, I'm not. What? I know I know of it, and I know it's massively popular, but I've never watched it. Right. We gave 100 people 100 seconds <laughs> to answer a biohazard-related question. We are looking for the most obscure correct answer there is. The fewer people that said the answer, the better for your scores. Okay. Points will be deducted from your current score. So, oh yes. So if your answer was said by thirty people, you will lose thirty points from your score. And of course, an incorrect answer will score you the maximum a hundred point deduction. Okay, so bear that in mind. Quite simply, it's damage limitations. Find a pointless answer and you'll not be deducted any points at all. Find an answer, you know, a popular answer, you you know, so only five people said it, only five points would be deducted. So you're looking for a pointless answer. Is, is everyone clear? This is like the reverse family fortune. It's similar, isn't it? It's similar to reverse of family yeah. fortunes, but that's pointless in a nutshell, isn't it? So let's have a look at the leaderboard, and the current leader gets to go first. Batman, that's you. So we gave 100 people 100 seconds to name a tyrant from the tyrant program. And I look, have to think of the most obscure one. We are looking for the most obscure answer. Tyrant C. Tyrant C, let's see. Is it right? Is it pointless? There it goes down the scores, down it goes. <laughs> down it goes, down it goes. Oh, 13. 13 people said Tyrant C. So not bad. 13 people out of the 100 said Tyrant C. So you only get 13 points deducted. So not bad, not bad. We asked George Trevor, gave 100 people 100 seconds, to name a tyrant from the tyrant program. Can you name? What would you, what would you, what's your answer? Um, Again, I'll remind you, we're looking for the most obscure answers. We've already had Batman's answer, which was said by 13 respondents. Oh, I'll, I'll go for the Hypnos Tyrant. The Hypnos Tyrant? Yeah. That's the one from Survivor, isn't it? It is, it is. Yeah, because I can't remember the code for the one in Dead Aim with the electrical charge and the stupid hand. That's, that's fine, you, you're going for Hypnos. Yeah, through default. Let's see, is it right? Is it pointless? Down it goes, down it goes, yes, going down, going down. It's going down, it's going down. Oh, five! Five people Ooh. said Hypnos. Very good. Very, very good. That's not bad score there. Only, only five points deducted there. Stars Tyrant, your turn. Make sure you get the bit after the dash. Thanatos dash R. Thanatos dash, dash R. R. Right. Is he Fanatosh then? Thanatosh. Thanatosh. Okay, Thanatos. right. Find a tash. Alright, let's let's see if that's right, let's see if that's pointless. Down it goes. Looking good. Looking good all the way. It's going, going. Oh! Two people said that. Two. So it's a very good score. Only a score of two. Very good. Very close, very close. Over to Mr. Spencer. Your turn. Can you get a pointless answer? We haven't found one yet. Mr. Spencer. I'm going to go for... The one from Dead Aim that George couldn't remember. Ah, I'm going to go for the T-078. The 078 Tyrant? Yep. It's not from Dead Aim. Where's that from then? Code <laughs> <laughs> Veronica, but it's still a legitimate answer. Is it right? Is it pointless? Now, anyway, it's going down. It's still going down. Going down the board, going down the board. It's a pointless answer! Well done. No one said T-078. Well done, Mr. Spencer. 
Excellent. So you get. I just I just did a Google search. The one in the one in Dead Aim was the T zero nine one. Nick, you're a fucking knobhead because <laughs> that was totally made up. It was. I, 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 these are the hundred people that I write. That no one said that. That was a pointless answer. Well done, Mr. T seventy eight would be way more popular. But it wasn't on my. It wasn't on our people. A tyrant R. No. That John gave. You know what? Next time, Sean, don't question it. Don't <laughs> question it. It's fine. It's legit. No, I, no. I'd sooner have integrity. To be honest. Right, so let's see what's that done with all the points deducted from everyone's scores. Well, would you, Adam and Eve? Batman finishes on 61 points. George Trevor on 61 points. Stars Tyrant on 61 points. And Mr. Spencer? No. Also on 61 this is, this is as bad as the new rules for the F1 season. Didn't oh this my happen god. Last year? Nick, oh do you god. work for the FIA? <laughs> Well, everyone finishes on joint points, but do not fear, I have prepared for such an eventuality. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> we are in the tie break round. We have one question. The answer you'll give will determine if you are to be crowned the biohazard champion. However, people's scores and general skill level over the last two years will not go unnoticed. To reflect on everyone's competence, the question the final question will be given to the podcasters at different times, reflecting on how well they have achieved in the quiz. I have opened up a separate Skype dialogue for each of you, and once the last person receives the question, you'll have 30 seconds to think of the answer. So looking at the scores over the last two years, Batman has done very well, and I will send him the question first. As at the end of the standard quiz, he will lead, he as well, he led by 13 points which will mean he'll have an additional 13 seconds to think of the answer before I send that over to George Trevor, who came second. When those seconds elapse, George will be sent the question, and so on until the player with the fewest points, i.e. Mr Spencer, will get the question. Once Mr Spencer gets the question, there'll be a standard 30 seconds. And then, when I say when, when the 30 seconds has elapsed, I will want your questions all sent to be back by Skype, and then we'll see how everyone's done. Is that clear? Yo. So, Batman, you are being rewarded. I'm too drunk for this. <laughs> Basically, you'll be sent a question, uh, and you'll have 30 seconds, but some of you will have longer than 30 seconds. Okay? Batman, you will go on my first whistle. Right. George Trevor, you will go on my second whistle. Is this Gladiators now? Yes, it is. Three! <laughs> Three! Yeah. You will go oh. on my second whistle. That's Tyrant, you'll go on my third whistle. And Mr. Spencer, you will go on my fourth whistle. Thank you for the whistle. Go, Joe. So, are we, go? Are we ready? Three, two, one, go. So, for all our listeners, the question that's been uh, been put to our podcasters is: How many rooms are there in the original Biohazard Mansion? Oh. Second whistle. And I'm going to need notepad for this one. <laughs> Go, yeah. third whistle. Was I meant to click on a link? No, no, your, your question. <laughs> Where's the question? Your 30 seconds starts from now. Ooh, fucking G up. This is a mega hard question. Fucking hell. Has everyone got the question? Yeah. Is this including the corridors? Yes. <laughs> oh. Jesus. Are we gonna do nearest answer wins? Because 
don't think anyone will get it. First floor, second floor, basement. Right, that's it. That's it. That's it. Can, that's ev- can everyone send back their questions to me via Skype, please? Don't say, and then we'll go. And then I'll. Thank you, Batman. Thank you, Stars Tyrant. Thank you, Mr. Spencer. Just George Trevor waiting on. This is the soccer meter. It's <laughs> really is. I had to put I that thought, on Facebook. <laughs> I thought it was quite a good format. Right. Here we go. So the answers we've had in no particular order, just in alphabetical. So it's an order, I suppose. George Trevor has said. 30 rooms. Mr. Spencer has said 46 rooms. Batman has said 62 rooms. Star's Tyrant has said 48 rooms. Thankfully, my maths is good enough to work out that we have a winner. The correct answer is this. On the first floor, there are 31 rooms. Bastard. On the second floor, there are 23 rooms. In the basement, there was three rooms. Meaning the answer was 57, which means this winner, the ultimate champion of Biohazard, is the Batman! Shit! Yes! Oh, brilliant. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bastard. fucking dude. <laughs> well done. Justice restored, I feel, but there we go. Yes, the answer is 57. Close to 62. Well done. The true Biohazard champion, George Kellogg's Thank you very much. There we go. Well done. So congratulations to Batman there for winning Neptune and Uzi's Biohazard quiz and crowned champion of Biohazard. What is my prize? Your prize is, and I will send it to you if you want it to, is Resident Evil Outbreak Mints. Mints. Mints, yes, Mints, yes. Unopened, brand new. Brand new. When you say brand new, what's the sell-by date? I don't know what the sell-by date is, but they are brand new and unopened, so I can send that to you in the post, your prize. Wait, did you say like a mint copy of Outbreak? A mint, as in the polos type thing. What do you mean polo mints, you said it again? So, uh, did you want to say a few words to your fellow podcasters, Batman, for your victory? Um, I'd like to thank God (laughs) and my parents. Nice. I'll cut that bit out. (laughs) So there we go. That does conclude uh, Neptune News' Biohazard Quiz. Whether you'll join us again for another one, I don't know, but whatever the case. Well, we hope to do some more if there is some news to report. Oh, no, no. This is just the end of the quiz. Whether to do another quiz, I don't know. So join us next time. So maybe some more questions. So there we go, folks. There we go. As the uh, the curtain is settling down now on our last podcast, a very good quiz, I feel. Very good answers from everyone, and I hope you all had fun listening to that. So that concludes our, our last podcast, really. I mean, final reflections. We've done two years of the stuff. Uh, I think we've had some good times, some bad times, some funny times, uh, some genuinely disturbing times as well, but never mind. Um, into the horizon, we've got Biohazard 7, one would assume. Uh, maybe even Resident Evil Revelations 2. We'll see, we'll see. Um, any final thoughts from anyone? Uh, I'm surprised it's lasted this long. 
The series or the podcast, or both? The, or both. both. Yeah. <laughs> the podcast, when we first started, I thought I'd be amazed if we get more than five episodes done. We have done quite a few. We have done quite mm. a few. And, you know, I think certainly um, topped off with uh, DC doing his little bit today. is very cool. So, Stars Tyrant, did you want to say anything? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've had a rather turbulent time with the community. I spent uh, a lot of years in a place I shouldn't. Thank you. Oh, horror. But, but no, it's nice to have finally found a home. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been, it's been fun. I can't believe it's the end already. Mm. Well, we might be back at some point. Um, George Trevor, did you want any, any final words to the community? And all your adoring fans, no doubt. Oh, yeah, of course. Well, um, no, it's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been a privilege to share this platform with some legends in the community. I've, I've learned a lot. And, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure we'll be back, you know, I, I still think it'd be great to do some podcasts and some of the particular debates that, we, that we've got that still rage. But I just want to say, keep the faith. Thank you to God and Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Mr Spencer, any final thoughts? Well, I'd like to say that I, you know, I kind of mirror Sean's words here, that I kind of found a place. And I know this is going to sound... Uh, a bit uncharacteristic and a bit sentimental, but I don't really see you guys as staff members. I see you more as friends, and uh, that's how I like to continue things. So, you know, thanks for sort of, you know, for the good times and the entertainment. Mm, Absolutely. Well, chaps, that does conclude this last podcast. We hope you have very much enjoyed today's final swan song, as well as the many other podcasts we have done covering all the series, both games and movies, amongst others. We have been through some good times. We've had some fantastic guests, some wonderful call-ins, and generally had a laugh talking about a series we've all grown up loving. Perhaps now is the right time to bring a close to the podcasts. The future is looking a bit downbeat for this series, but optimism in the Biohazard community will remain as high as ever. Will we return? We hope so. But for now, we leave you with some of the best bits from the last two years. to this legendary guy called Neptune who used to post on RE Horror. He was my he was my hero when I was a kid. You you don't have a giant plant going no. up for let no. 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 We don't have letters. Do we have no I don't think we put letters. <laughs> you must let the community know the truth. Gain this cannon. I once went out with someone who looked a bit like Toadette. I'm just going to check on my array of pizzas. It's like fan fiction. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Batman can ship diamonds. Batman can do anything. Yes, I can. Brother! Brother! My balls are black and blue. I just hit them with a mallet. What game am I playing? Yeah, I guess another five minutes or so in there. <laughs> See, that's the odd thing, right? I'm I'm on this side, right? But I don't know anything about the series. I don't know anything. I don't know why I'm here.
Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I love all of Welsh's contributions. Sometimes they don't necessarily surface, but um, no, I, I, I can't <laughs> wait for that. Fantastic. <laughs> The uh, the symbol I will say does look a bit like Cyril Sneer from their raccoons. I've got oh, old 